Welcome back to KafaruCast, everyone. I am super excited about this podcast today. Uh, I have got two gentlemen on that I did a, I was on their podcast recently. These dudes are three. three. What's that? It's Aaron. Texas here as well. Yeah, he's just quiet. Oh, sorry. Three. My bad. Three dudes, which one I'm not aware of until just now. And uh, these guys are fucking pipe-hitting dudes when it comes to training, fitness, uh, diet. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. So uh, welcome to guys from uh, Power Athlete. Thanks for hopping on. Thank you. Howdy. Excited to be here. So why don't you guys introduce yourselves and kind of what you do? Sure. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm John Wellborn, CEO for Power Athlete. Uh, a little history on me. I grew up in Southern California, youngest of three boys, uh, played, you know, sports, got really into boxing and fighting and then got into playing football and lifting weights. And from there ended up, oh man, I think I got like close to a hundred scholarship offers, uh, ended up going to UC Berkeley to play football, uh, played football there, um, ended up getting a degree in rhetoric and worked on my master's in education and then got drafted to go play in the NFL. Went got, was the, what was I, was like the hundredth pick to the Philadelphia Eagles that year in 99, came in, started as a rookie, and then played five years in Philly, and then went to the Kansas City Chiefs and played four years there. And then my 10th year was in New England and ended up getting hurt in uh, the preseason, came home, had knee surgery, and ended up retiring after I got a little phone call from uh, this small fitness company at the time uh, called CrossFit. And they asked me if I would come in and develop my own form of CrossFit in terms of how to train field sport athletes and it was called CrossFit football, which ended up being a really interesting phenomenon because uh, I'd always, uh, based on my training, had done a ton of metabolic conditioning, sprinting, lifting weights. And what we did is we brought actually brought periodized strength conditioning templates into the CrossFit market. And it completely virally affected CrossFit to the point where now you won't see a CrossFit competition, a gym, or anywhere on the planet that doesn't have some form of strength-based template involved in their training. So that was my contribution. And then... Uh, 2017, we ended up breaking away from CrossFit. I'd started uh, Power Athlete, or really, you know, with the brain trust you see sitting here at the table in 2012, and had been kind of running in parallel. But um, it wasn't until 2017 we ended up uh, breaking up with CrossFit mm -hmm. after a tumultuous relationship of dealing with fucking Martians and crazy people. And uh, then just went full steam into Power Athlete, and we do online education, we certify coaches. We do a ton of training and performance stuff like uh, for the individual athlete based off of our different training programs, do nutrition, coaching, and uh, you know run a podcast, which you were on air in Power Athlete Radio. So that's me from – and we're here in Austin, Texas, so that's me from the 10,000 macro. Yeah, and I guess to backtrack a little on that in that it was 2011 – or actually it was 2010 when I – CrossFit Football was an online training program. You go to CrossFitFootball.com, you get really epic training for free, but then – uh, John was traveling around with his staff at that time running the CrossFit football seminar. So yeah. guys like me who were working, I was in a corporate gig, but uh, doing like moonlight coaching at a CrossFit gym. And guys like me who wanted to start an athletic style of training in that CrossFit gym would go to John's seminar at the time. And when I attended, it just, it took me down a wormhole and brought me back to where I started banging weights in high school where I played football. And, um, we brought that in the gym, and it just changed the way athletes looked, trained, and felt. And I realized, like, I want to be a part of this team. And threw my name in the hat for a call to action from the CrossFit football guys to join the seminar staff. And John basically packaged up this honeypot deal. Uh, you know, I was, like, making a mid-six figures, it, like, as a 27-year-old dude. And then this, like, in corporate America and threw it all away. 
with promises of nothing. John said, I promise you nothing. You eat what you kill, come out and prove that you can join this team. And I moved from Chicago to SoCal to work with John and run his gym out there and eventually found my way on the seminar staff. And, uh, man, since then, been to over 200 cities teaching goal-oriented strength and conditioning, whether that's for the small group, large group, or individual. And there's three different approaches there. So that's what uh, that's been my contribution to to the team, and as empower as power athletes stood up, and John, the visionary, is creating these ideas on how we can virally infect the fitness industry and strength and conditioning. Um, I oversaw the implementation of that, and essentially took on operations here. So I run operations for Power Athlete, co-host Power Athlete Radio, uh, and am a Power Athlete coach. Man, I'm so glad you showed up when you did because a week later my wife had twins. That's right. And pretty much I didn't sleep for like two, more than 45 minutes for the yeah, next trial like, six months. Yeah, trial by fire, Aaron. That's I was like, Luke, <laughs> my wife's having twins. I'll see you in six months. And I just left him on his own because, uh, yeah, that was a heavyweight fist fight. And <laughs> Luke made it real easy for me. To, to pick up the course and start implementing. I was a collegiate coach at the time I started interning with John and, and Luke for the seminar in 2012. And you came to, the, was it the fifth? Fifth. In, so I met John in 2009 and learned from this course, and I was able to implement it with collegiate athletes and start to pick up the nuances of application of training. So it's not only reading and writing this program, it's getting the athletes and the individuals to move like you intended as a coach and moving well. So the weight room carries over to their performance. Eventually got the opportunity to lead said seminar and now in the position of the director of education. So I get to deep dive into a lot of training material that's out there and synthesize it for coaches, parents, or individuals like yourself, Aaron, that they can apply it to their lives and whatever they're training for. So, um, Aaron, just a little history on like how this whole thing kind of came about. Um, like I said, I got drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles and came in and started as a rookie. Um, during, at the end of the first half of my first NFL start, um, I stepped down, stepped in a seam, and ruptured my patellar tendon on my left knee. So I looked down and felt like I got shot from the third row. And anybody that's ever been to Philly probably, you know, it's a very real occasion could have happened. I got shot. But uh, they ended up carting me off, and when I looked down, my kneecap was sitting about three inches too far to the left or the right and too far up. And uh, the doctor came in, told me I ruptured my patellar tendon. Nobody ever come back from that injury, and my career was finished. So I was in surgery that night. They stitched my knee up. I couldn't get out of bed for three weeks. I couldn't bend my knee for three months. And I started this really just arduous, difficult uh, uh, like rehab process to come back. And... Because I was not able to move or train or really do anything, uh, I just started watching film. And I came to this interesting observation that the person that could maintain their posture and position longer over the course of the play was, you know, one almost every time. And as an offensive lineman, if I could maintain my posture and position and my technique through space and I could dictate, you know, strength, power, force, whatever it was, inertia, onto that other individual and force him out of his technique and get him into a bad position... Uh, that guy would not win and I would be victorious. So I just kind of took that approach and was like, okay, I need to maintain posture and position through the full ranges of the motion movements that I'm able to do. And because I wasn't able to go on the field and I had a bum knee, I just ended up doing it in the weight room. And what was amazing was uh, I came back, ended up uh, coming in and starting that next year, starting 16 games and uh, basically started the rest of my NFL career. And, you know, being us, and I know this sounds funny, uh, just under 6'6", six, six, but a six foot five, three quarters, 
300 pound white dude, I was one of the undersized individuals. And, you know, through not only flexibility, being able to play with a bunch of range of motion and, you know, bend my knees and, you know, move through space and, you know, strong enough to be able to dictate force and all these other key components, I was able to do that job for a decade. So um, that and was really what, the I foundation mean, for what we saw here at Power Athlete. For listeners who may not, uh, like, who don't know you or haven't seen you, you know, you think of O-linemen, you kind of think of fat slobs. Wellborn is one of the dudes who's like a jacked lineman. And in so much so that he has a legendary bicep vein. Uh, We've talked to a few other O linemen who played with him. He's like, does Wellborn still have that bicep bicep vein? Well, uh, <laughs> so at, he's like a three three hundred yeah. plus at like ten percent let yeah. Uh, so I, I, body I, uh, fat. in what well, I can't remember the year, but I was uh, like two thousand and three, two thousand and four. We got a bod pod in Philly, and I was the only dude that ever tested over three hundred pounds that was under ten percent body fat. So I was about seven point eight at about three hundred six pounds. So I ended up being about two hundred eighty two pounds of lean muscle which uh, they had not seen at the time. With discussing this, um, just the, the, the short and brief history uh, with with uh, yourselves and, and me, um, <laughs> you guys asked me to come on the podcast. In total honesty, I'm so busy, I did not research a whole lot other than scrolling through your Instagram page, and I thought, man, all right, these guys are fit. We did the podcast, and then there was some very, and we didn't dive into what we'll dive in today, but I got off the podcast and I told my wife, I said, you know, I might have to fucking listen to these guys because they know their shit. Um, <laughs> because in, in archery, a guy a long time ago told me, never get coaching from someone that is not better than you or at one time was better than you. Obviously, age catches up with everyone. And, and, you know, something the rock said at one point in time, if I can't kick my own, ass, the, the, the moment I can't kick my own ass, I'll get a trainer. I'm not the rock. So that doesn't really count for me, but with what I've been doing works for me, but there is always uh, much higher levels you can go to. And so I've kind of set my specific training up and I've had a lot of people get a hold of me to more or less, Hey, you know, let, let me train you. Let me get you on a program. And I'm like, well, you're not at a level that I think that would benefit me to listen to you is, is mm -hmm. I'm sure arrogant as that sounds where I got off the radio or the phone with you guys or the podcast. And I'm like, honey, we're going to have to do some, some deep diving with these dudes. Cause they can take me to another level. Cause you guys don't just do a specific, maybe training program. It is a scalpel to exactly what each individual person is focusing on. As I understood it in my uh, am I explaining that very well? Do you guys want to touch on yeah. that a little bit? Yeah. The, um, uh, so it was pretty interesting. Um, so when I retired from the NFL, uh, I like I realized I lived in a bubble. When you play in the NFL, all your friends are NFL players. You hang out at places that NFL players hang out. You go on vacation with your friends. And you train at these training facilities with other professional athletes. And it, you just live within this strange bubble. And when I retired from the NFL – I realized, and this was kind of interesting when CrossFit hit me up, I, my first comment to them was like, do normal people want to know all this stuff? I mean, I have this, uh, you know, multiple PhD in not only physical training, but movement and basically, uh, you know, what I classified my job as is a master's, master of violence. So whenever people ask me about football, did you really love the game? And I'm like, not really. Uh, what I loved about it was the fact that somebody paid me an exorbitant amount of money to go out and whoop somebody's ass for three hours every Sunday in front of millions of people. And that was what I was into. I just wanted to go out and find the toughest dudes on the planet and lay an ass beating on them for three hours and in front of millions of people and, and game unis and here and uh, get paid for it. So 
when you take that approach, everything is systematic from the sleep to the diet, the training, everything. And you end up creating a very, very sharp blade and ends up looking a lot like a scalpel instead of this idea of like, hey, I want to wear these fancy uniforms and run out and hear these accolades and people cheering my name. No, I couldn't have cared less if it was in a fucking dark alley or a, you know, backwoods somewhere or if there wasn't a single person in the crowd because I never heard them anyway. And when you take that systematic approach, um, you know, you become kind of a, you know, I mean, geez, in, in college, like I said, I went to Berkeley as a rhetoric major. I mean, you know, Mushiashi's Book of Five Rings, um, you know, the idea of uh, Bushido be able to present yourself with one thing and master it kind of becomes very apparent. And when I stepped out and kind of got into this, uh, I guess, kind of civilian, and I used the term civilian, not NFL, like kind of civilian market, um, one, I was amazed that people didn't know this stuff. I was amazed that people like were so fucked up in their, in their training and how they approached this stuff because I always looked at it very systematically like building blocks. So um, I ended up putting out a, a, you know, just a couple strength templates and some training programs on the CrossFit football page that were what I would do translated into CrossFit language. So I always like to say I was bilingual and that I could take a, a, almost an incoherent random language and actually formulate something good for, around it. Um, and then I went out and I started teaching this information to people and I saw how deficient people were. And what was, was unique about the two individuals sitting next to me is we got the opportunity to put out a free training program and then travel the world and meet tens of thousands of individuals that were doing the training program and people that weren't doing the training program that were showing up to the seminars. And it became glaringly apparent that the people that did our training were, could move through space, could change direction, were stronger, could maintain posture and position as they moved through full range of motion movements. And the people that didn't could even do our fucking warm-ups. And all of a sudden, we just started segmenting these people into uh, power athletes, which were the people that were doing our training, that were our, what I like to consider our people. If we were a country, these would be our citizens. And then all these other people that were just doing fuck around this. And uh, we had all of this time to formulate these programs and then as we started going in and developing these archetypes, really our foundational program was Field Strong. And then as more and more different archetypes and people came in with specific needs, we ended up developing more and more programs to meet those individuals. And this, Aaron, this started, what John did and not a lot of people understood was a term we refer to as the life cycle of an athlete. So within John's training, imagine a high schooler. This is your intro, your bedrock, your foundation of training. And a lot of high schoolers now or people just getting into weightlifting will look to the top, the peak, the, the Cam Newtons, the professional athletes of the world. What are they doing? But that high schooler, that first-time weightlifter is not ready for that. So John established this foundation, and from there he was able to lead into a trained athlete. Then we can do a lot more specific things and individualize the more scalpel as you develop becomes now a professional athlete. So with this scale and within that life cycle of an athlete we can introduce a training goal in mind and now we have on our power athlete training programs those are specific towards different training goals we have a foundation get used to the sets and the reps and we can really get into this in this term of individuality for what an athlete is not only training for but how they move their ant anthropometrical ratios how they're built and the demands that they face ahead. So think of this life cycle of an athlete simply their training age, chronological age, biological age as an opportunity to identify where they stand in their training that they can progress from. But if they are 
aiming too high at the mountain, even though they're standing down lower, they're never going to get to that point where they are aiming for. Yeah, and Aaron, for you, after talking with you on our episode, like you've got some miles under the barbell, right? So you have a, your training age is, is well established. And just due to the very nature of pack hunting and the demands and stress on this thing, your biological age is probably far past a, a traditional, you know, what are you, 40 years old, I, I think, somewhere in 44. there? 44. That's right. So your, your biological age may also be past, like, some other 44-year-old dude who's never pack hunted and never lifted a weight. You know what I mean? So those ages are often not congruent. So those are things we need to evaluate on what, what type of training we would apply to you in the individual sense. Well, and I think the thing we, we've done well, too, is um, I'm big on reverse engineering. And uh, like I'm sure a lot of people call, you know, would hit you up and say, hey, Aaron, you should do this training program where we would start is like, OK, who are you? What have you done? Yeah, give me some. Yeah, like give me some idea of you. Here's the assessment. And then what's your final goal? And you're like, hey, man, I want to be able to long range pack. This is what I do. This is what I have available to me. Well, what we need to do is design a training program that works for you to be the best you you can, not trying to squeeze you into somebody else's fucking program. And I think like as I listened to what you were talking about, especially like a lot of your like long work where your wife's dropping you at the bottom of the hill and you're hiking up and you're doing a lot of what I call uh, uh, SPP work, which is that specific kind of low base, uh, you know, long endurance aerobic type stuff. Then we have to look on the other side of the spectrum and say, all right, on the other side of the spectrum, what are we doing in terms of developing uh, neural efficiency, motor unit recruitment, you're starting to age and you're doing a great job on keeping uh, um, capacity you know, is up. Yeah, capacity and what we call mitochondrial density. But now we got to work on max motor unit recruitment and make sure that you're really strong, not only in your body, but within your trunk. And you're doing a ton of like isometric work, you know, not only holding the pack at different angles, but how are we working on rotation, especially, you know, drawing the bow, um, you know, shoulder, uh, you know, flexibility and strength and then being able to hold those isometrics. So what I do is I really am really the basis of this training program is looking at what the individual needs, where are their, you know, loose lug nuts on, you know, on the indie cars we're going to make turns, and then how do we tighten those lug nuts up and make sure that you are the best athlete you need to be for what your individual usage is. Like, and I'll just give you an example. Now, if I trained football players, would I train them to be bodybuilders? No. I need them to play football. Uh, I, I played, never, and I've told these guys on, the, on other podcasts, but also on to these guys, I remember one year in Philly, um, before practice, there was they brought in some big, strong dude, and I watched him bench like 585 for a set of five, pretty easy. And they were fucking so excited about this defense alignment. This guy's a 600-plus pound bencher. He's going to go out and kill us. They cut that dude before practice was over. I mean, we were literally knocking him off his feet, tea-kettling him, and they were like, hey, you're going to get hurt out here, and they ended up cutting him. Well, where'd that 600-pound bench get him? So my whole deal became, can I use the weight room to be, to be able to transition on the field. And if the weight room, if I'm not able to translate what I do in the weight room under the bar and all the other things, if I'm not able to translate that in the field, then it's a fucking useless. For you, if what we do within your training doesn't translate to you being a more durable, uh, you know, more able, more skilled hunter, then we have to go back and look at the training program and not mm -hmm. say you're broken, which I think is part of the ego for a lot of guys. Well, he wasn't doing my training right. Well, dude, maybe your training wasn't right because you don't know what the fuck you're doing. And the transfer and training comes from not what you're doing, but mostly how you're doing it, the movement. Where, you know, how are you moving the bar? How are you moving the dumbbell? Things like that. And that's where you need a coach's eye. Good Lord, there's a lot to talk about here. Let's rewind <laughs> real quick. The, the first thing to touch on is, is um, when you're talking about uh, setting your, your kind of your goals at the top of the mountain and never reaching them. And, and that's uh, 
that happens to, to that that happens to thousands and thousands of people that contact me of uh man i i you know i need to some of these guys need to drop a hundred pounds and they immediately go on you know whatever the carnivore diet uh they go full bore uh cut all sugars i mean literally i'm like dude one percent of the planet can go from eating peanut butter and chocolate chip cookies every day of their lives and pasta every night to cold turkey quitting and backpacking five to six miles a day whatever i'm pulling some shit out of my ass but you get the idea i'm like you've, yeah, you've right. got to set i'm like hey set realistic goals and when you set those realistic goals as you become a better athlete as you as you your performance increases set the bar higher and keep setting that bar as high as you can with attainable goals each time now by no means am i a trainer but you have to have realistic goals and it sounds like you guys coincide well, the, with um, uh, i've worked with do way too many people on diet and nutrition and we have a, a segment of our company that does that exclusively because uh, I just can't handhold as well as they can. Um, Are you one of you those know, guys I, that's like just fucking listen and you get super pissed off when they don't? Uh, <laughs> well, John's like, well, I think all of us here are kind of the 1% you were talking about where it's like, okay, starting today, you can never do this again. Be like, okay, as yeah. long as there's a, we know why and it's, it's, Putting us towards where we want to be. Well, the, yeah, that's not a problem. The, uh, so the, it makes it frustrating. Yeah, like the deal with food is really pretty fascinating, and I think um, the problem is, is you know, and this is a systemic problem that'll go back, you know, ages and generations, and really is uh, is like a deep rooted issue more than anything. And people look at it very superficially, but everything in this country is based around food. Every holiday, name one holiday you got. Uh, Valentine's Day, you got chocolate. What do we got? Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving we got turkey. Christmas, Christmas ham. Christmas, ham. We birthdays. got birthdays. We have, uh, um, you know, barbecues. I mean, we mm -hmm. have so many social events and so much uh, kind of social currency tied up within food that we have this emotional connection to food. And I think a big part of people being successful in terms of losing weight and kind of moving and transitioning is when they take the emotion out of the food and like food is not a reward. Food is not how you enjoy your life. Food is not, uh, and I know this is super fucking weird and boring for most people, but um, you know the idea that well, you know, I was good, so I'm going to reward myself with this is a fucking broken, uh, broken mindset and a broken methodology. What they have to do is transition and look at like food is nothing more than the sustenance I need to be able to go harder and go faster. It's the fuel that I need for performance. And if they can look at it and say, all right, um, and this is, I think, where a lot of this stuff kind of gets wrapped around the axle, especially with like, uh, you know, really uh, extreme approaches like, um, you know, a carnivore I, I would put as pretty extreme where, hey, I'm only going to eat red meat. Why? Well, if I can't control eating carbohydrates and I'm going to eat fucking five pizzas every time, then maybe something like a carnivore diet makes sense where it's an elimination diet and I'm going to limit my calories. Now, protein is extremely satiating. Fat fills the stomach. So let's say I eat two pounds of meat and that's all I can eat on a single day. The problem is a lot of people don't have the mental fortitude to be like, I'm going to eat a steak. Now, if you told me, or for every meal for the next fucking six months. Now, if you told me I got to eat a Costco filet three times a day for the next six months, I'm in. You know why? Because I, like, uh, I like to eat red meat, but I've also always eaten a high pro, uh, protein diet. So what happens is, is I think people start out with good intentions and they're like, hey, man, I need to lose 100 pounds. And I always tell people, man, why don't we just focus on losing five pounds? And just like kind of like going in the weight room and being like, hey, man, I want to squat 1,000. We're going to have to squat 500, then 505, then 510. And it's a lot easier if we look at it in five-pound increments. So I think what happens is that, you know, and, and to use one of my brother's analogies, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? People look at that elephant and think, how am I going to eat this thing? i got to lose 100 pounds. i got to get in shape. i got to do all these things. 
And what they do is they end up loading their plate up with so much bullshit that they don't know where to start and they just end up doing nothing. So we always start with one thing like, hey, if you haven't worked out, I just need you to get to the gym one day a week or at least every three days. I need you to get and here's what we're going to ask you to do. I need you to start monitoring your calories, how many. And at the end of the day, um, you know, uh, I've been a firm believer that, um, you know, in uh, uh, like the law of thermodynamics, you know, which means that like no energy is lost, you know, none is created. It just gets transferred. Um, the idea of calories in, calories out makes sense. I mean, if you can manage a spreadsheet, I can get you in shape. If we can look at how much you're burning, we can use a scale, we can measure your food, and we can get you moving in the right direction. It's super easy. It just takes dedication and not and, and a little bit of mental fortitude and uh, the desire to not fucking quit. And like all of a sudden you look and you're like, oh, I'm supposed to be losing a pound today. I didn't lose a pound. I'm going to go eat a bag of chocolate chips or uh, cookies because this isn't going to fucking work. So I think people are so easily defeated that what we found is that um, – Creating something bigger than than you, like what we've done here at Power Athlete based off our no battle the bullshit and really just the ethos we've created in this company is you're not in it alone. We're going to fucking get you there. You just have to fucking join up, get involved, join the team, and just fucking put your head down like a sled dog and get there. Well, and I read up a lot about you guys after we got off the podcast, which I'm, I'm one of the guys that um, I'm, uh, I'm all about um, – slap the shit out of me, hook a shot collar to me, do whatever you've got to do. Like, I, I don't need words of affirmation. I need you to just beat the shit out of me and I will perform where if you're doing good, like participation trophies, like that shit does not do well for me. So I'm one of those guys, like if I come in and you're like, dude, you gained a pound, whatever, you know, hypothetical, like, I need to be fat shamed. I need to be made fun of and I need to have my ass kicked. But then you hit that goal you know, basically there's, there's not words of affirmation, but you're basically like, fuck yeah, dude, good job. Let's work on the next one where I have found that mentality that I have does not work a lot very well with others. No. And I have pissed off nope. guys. And again, I'm not a trainer, but, uh, you know, I'm like, dude, you quit fucking eating. Like why are you stuffing carbs down your throat? Jesus Christ, stop eating carbs. That mentality does not work well with <laughs> It's a lot of right. different people, and, which is why I, I don't think, train. Yeah, people will thrive, in my opinion, of validation. And that can come in one like one of two ways, right? So for us to hop on and say, Aaron, you fat fuck, you put on a you 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 gained a half pound. What did you do? And you're like, Well, I had a cookie. Like all we're doing is validating your negative behavior. And that is motivation for you. But most people will they're seeking validation on their progress on their consistency, they're seeking validation on maybe the choices they've made that um, that are not in line with their goals. So that is where it becomes this ballet and this tango that, I, I mean, John and I in text, like the re, that's the reason we're not the nutrition coaches for power athlete is like, we can tango for maybe two or three steps, but then it gets old real fast, you well, know? And uh, there, but there is, a, there who, is. Who was the dude that I had that, um, so this guy hired me to be his, uh, to help him with his training, and we did nutrition. And the guy would come down. Uh, this is when we were living in Newport Beach, and he'd come down to the gym every Saturday, and he would bring me this immaculate food log. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, dude, we fucking, dude. I figured out, like, hey man, this is this guy's basal metabolic rate. This is how many calories he's giving me. Weights. I mean, dude, dialed it perfect. He brought me this perfect diet, and the guy did not lose a pound. And then like the second week, didn't lose a pound. And like all of a sudden, like six weeks in. He hasn't lost a single pound. His body composition is uh, it hasn't changed. He's he's given me these logs on like, hey, here's the training. We're testing rep maxes. He's going in, 
And uh, like six weeks in, I'm, I mean, I'm like looking at this dude. And I'm like, I don't know if this thing's broken or not. Like, like it, it, it's not working the way it's typically worked. And then finally I was like, hey, man, let's just load up the bar and let's test some of these rep maxes. The dude like had put like he had squatted like I think like 345 for like a set of five pretty easy. The dude couldn't even squat 275 for a set of five. And he's like, oh, oh he was really, relying on everything. Yeah. And, and I'm like, dude, you paid me a lot of money <laughs> to help you. And you're fucking lying to me. Like, I was like, dude, at that point, I just kind of fired him. I was like, hey, man, like, until you're going to be honest with me. No, 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 I'm, I'm honest. This is exactly what I, I'm like, dude, you don't squat 345 for a set of five and write that down in the log and then come in and basically get buckled under 275 for a single and then claim that you're following. I'm like, dude, I, I don't know why you would lie to me. I mean, it doesn't make sense. But then that was when I started realizing that uh, food and especially training validation like Luke was talking about is a very powerful thing and people are searching for it in their lives. I mean, it's a reason that, you know, people get married to the wrong person or take the job that they want or, you know, do this and like, you know, go out and buy some car they can't afford or buy clothes, you know, all these things because they're looking for some form of external validation that, uh, you know, either doesn't exist or, you know, like the age old one of, um, you know, I'm trying to prove my dead father wrong. So I'm going to do all these things to try to be the person I think he wants to be instead of, taking a look in the mirror and being like, what is the best version of me? How do I make the best version of myself? And then how am I honest to be like, look in the mirror and be like, I am a, a miserable fat fuck who has no willpower. So therefore I need somebody to take me on this journey and I need somebody to handhold me through the fucking finish line. And there, this five pound increment weight loss also exists for internal validation, I believe. And we can use the barbell as this example. Your first day that you step up and you squat your five reps for as most as you can feel good against the bar, then the next time we can ask you, do more than you did yesterday. And if that's only five pounds, it's still progress. So we can teach and we can empower someone to take on and develop these internal drives to not look for the external and find the value and the serotonin release from the weight room and training and then carry that confidence over to hunting or their social life, whatever it may be, that they need to. So the barbell can help teach these lessons that can tra carry over to nutrition. And it's the weightlifting is addicting. That's why we're all here, right? So if we can take that and tap that into everything else that they are struggling with, uh, nutrition, socially sleep, or just being a good person, there's potential there. And that's, that's what we aim to do with our high schoolers, for sure, is make using the barbell to tr teach them to be quality human beings, good teammates, and then the rest will take care of itself down the road. I think, uh, you know, as far as this is applicable to, to hunting, um, I, I definitely have been um, accused of being like a one-trick wonder when it comes to, um, I, I can hike really fast with a shitload of weight on. I don't really fuck around with pistol squats. Like, my workout is pretty common. I do a lot of core movements, uh, a lot of lunges, a lot of push-ups, a lot of pull-ups, and I backpack with a shitload of weight on, and that is pretty much all I do. When I say that, meaning that's what's worked for me, and so that's kind of what I stick with. And so, like, if I was at a uh, – one of my buddies could do these, like, one-legged pistol squats like a champ, but then we packed an elk out, and here I am, you know, an hour at the truck waiting for him, and I'm like, well – what good did those fucking pistol squats uh, do you in the pistol, gym? Like, uh, pistol squats are a, a fucking parlor trick. trick. Yeah, it's yeah, a parlor, parlor trick, trick, man. Like uh, anybody whose training is based around fucking parlor tricks 
is um is a charlatan man like uh i would never take any value in that stuff i mean there's some really basic stuff i mean we worked uh, there's a guy named rob miller who's a big high t- uh, like a big mountain climber you know real high performance dude and we had rob on the podcast years ago and uh when we really dug into his training he's like you know what i do i lift some really heavy basic compound movements to make sure that you know i'm within that atp that kind of short duration stuff and he was like dude i i squat i deadlift i press i pull i bench and uh, other than that, I just climb really fast. And it really, um, it was kind of similar to when um, I got approached by Naval Special Warfare to come in and teach performance for the SEAL teams. And we've done that for over 10 years, and we still do, and we work with the guys at Development Group. Uh, their training is very specific. Those guys are out there, you know, not only shooting, they're packing. They are doing a ton of specific training based upon what they need and, or what their, their workup is requiring. Uh, in the gym, those guys are, you know, type A and they can be very kind of, uh, Hey, what are you doing today? All right, I'm going to beat you in it instead of putting down some really solid, um, you know, like training programs. And so what we did is we went in those guys and like, Hey man, I don't have to beat the shit out of you. I don't have to go in and try to drive, you know, metabolic conditioning and all these other key factors in endurance. I mean, the fact that you went on a, you know, three week fucking, uh, you know, climb shows me that you have the type of long distance kind of aerobic capacity that you need. What I have to do is I got to develop all your kind of top register strength work. And, uh, you know, like for you, for example, you know, hey, like you do a ton of body weight movements and you're doing all this heavy packing. All we'd have to do is look at it and say, all right, you know, Aaron's 44. He's starting to you know, age a little bit. And if two things happen when you age. You lose the ability to recruit motor units and you lose mitochondrial density. You keep mitochondrial density, obviously, with build, developing a big aerobic base, which you have. And it's really that max motor unit recruitment involves just getting something heavy on the bar and doing some just, you know, singles, doubles, triples, maybe even sets of five, um, you know, with some heavy compound movements so that we can make sure that you're driving against something that doesn't look like your body weight, something with some maximal. And if you have some injuries, we can, you know, tra- you know move this in any way with a safety squat bar, trap bar, or even like a football bar. So there's different bars and different movement patterns that we can rotate to work around people as they start to age. But really understanding how to formulate a complete training program uh, based upon the needs of specific athletes, whether it be, you know, guys in Naval Special Warfare or you out there, you know, fucking kicking ass through the mountains is really, I think, where Power Athlete has shined and really kind of separated ourselves from what I like to call the fucking the dipshit horde out there for fitness people. Speaking of the dipshit horde, well, two things. First would be I totally went the wrong way because I used to lift super heavy. And the one thing I started to do was... um, let's say for so my bench press one of my workouts i have 60 pound dumbbells and i do this non-stop so i'll do a set of 12 standard bench i'll put the dumbbells together close grip i'll do a set of 12 and then i'll do another set of 12 one arm dumbbell bench uh rotating left to right uh and then i'll do another final set of 10 to 12 with leg leg raises which is totally fucking different because back in the day i'd throw 405 on and do a set of three uh, take a you know momentary break and then hit the same thing again or whatever. Um, so I went more for higher reps, uh, also to increase my cardio because I'll superset that. But and your cardio is already through the roof based upon your training. So what you're doing in the gym is you're hitting the same energy system that you're out there killing with your pack on. So like there's three energy systems. You have your uh, ATP, you got your glycolytic, and you got your aerobic. And what we found was that. The people that stay too much, and, and dude, we tested this like a motherfucker. I mean, dude, we worked for CrossFit, which is the, the fucking epicenter of glycolytic capacity. And what we found was that 
uh, glycolytic capacity, if, if, if that becomes your fucking North Star for everything, it ends up deteriorating on the other side. And what your, your, um, like your end game, what you're training for is such an aerobically based deal. It's based on, uh, you know, not only mental fortitude, but the ability to go long for a long period of time and suffer through it. So the problem is, is if that was what the, the specific, the, what I like to call the SBP, which, uh, you know, if you've read Mel Sift and Novo Kishansky, you know, uh, Zadiskorsky and some of the Russian sports scientists, you know, the idea of specific physical preparedness. What we have to do is look and say, all right, if this is his specific physical compar- uh, preparedness, now we have to look at his general physical preparedness. And for you, that would look like some heavier weights. But the problem mm-hmm. is, is I'm sure when you were fucking rocking on the high octane gas, you had this kind of different mentality, like, hey, I'm going to go bang those heavy weights. What we have to do is almost reprogram you a little bit and be like, hey, man, uh, I might not be on the, uh, on the super high octane, but I'm on the mid octane. So now I have to be able to kind of formulate this in a way and then also be able to execute the movements to kind of you know, say, hey, I need you to be able to look at a certain amount of volume so we don't overdrive you. But we also have to be able to kind of see how you're recovering, seeing how you're doing, seeing how the joints and then find movements that work around that. Well, Aaron, I want to highlight that you are on the right track to where you described to someone earlier where you're, you're rucking, you're lunging and, and doing these specific pieces that is what we're looking for with our training. We want to aim to target athleticism and teaching movement so you can be ready to be agile and reactive at some point where you've got to go 100 miles an hour or prepare to expend energy for three freaking days rucking and getting ready for the moment. So you're training movement and readiness versus the approach where you just mentioned your old school style where you're selecting movements for this many sets and reps. Your objective should be, and it, it's, it's evolved to this point, where you're training movement and athleticism and readiness for the demands of your sport. And John's tapping into specific energy systems and demands where it's that, yes, that 100 miles an hour moment, but at the same time, the readiness to be prepared to last the three days and so on and so forth. So you're on the right track. And what we do with our programs is get towards targeting athleticism and improving people's ability to move versus said number on a barbell or said amount of sets and reps. So you're tracking the right direction. Your intu- tu- intuition is on point. There's a couple things that when I'm you know, getting to be um, at the, the age I'm at and, and not getting any younger, there, it's kind of twofold because I'm doing – you know, I wish it was three days. They're generally 10 to 14. So they're pretty extended hunts and those, I don't ever falter. One of the good things about both Frank and I, um, we're as good on day 14 as we are on day one minus we smell like shit, but we're still (laughs) doing well. Um, on my end though, is also longevity of my body. Like there's, there is a, uh, a shelf life of a backpack hunter from the abuse you put in your body, uh, especially on the pack outs. Cause if you're going in with 50 to 65, you're probably coming out with 120 plus and that could be anywhere from you know one mile to to, to eight nine ten miles and so it's not just my um my task at hand it's also the longevity of of my body and i'm knock on wood not doing too bad but i hear these horror stories um of guys just having these freak f- bending down to pick pick a basketball up at 47 and popping an acl and i'm like Jesus yeah but Christ. Uh, there's some natural selection in this stuff. I mean, um, uh, like, you know, I, I hear I was talking to my um, I, I had shoulder surgery and the PT comes to my house once a week and fucking wrenches on my shoulder. And we were talking about it yesterday. And he's like, you know, uh, um, certain people 
age at a different rate and certain people are genetically set up, whether it looks like what they did earlier in their life and built the metabolic pathways they need to be successful as they start to age. The problem comes down to, you know, like let's say, and we, we saw this all the time, uh, guys had never lifted weights had never really trained in their 20s and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden in their 30s or even their early 40s decide, hey, I need to get into this stuff. And the problem is, is that, you know, all the things that you did within your younger days, whether it be, like you said, like, you know, hey, what I did in my teens and my 20s, even before that, builds these metabolic pathways that really allow you to port these things into to later into age. Um, you know, like you always hear, you know, guys are like, man, if I took one of those hits in the NFL, I would die. How do you guys take those hits 70 times a game? I'm like, well, you got to remember at 14 years old, uh, I took those hits from other kids that were 14. And as I got bigger and stronger, they got bigger and stronger. And all of a sudden, those dudes look like 350 pounds when they were, you know, 95 at the time. And it's kind of the same thing we talked about diet, about losing, you know, weight five at a time or putting weight on the bar a little at a time and being basically doing a linear progression. It becomes the secret of life and for athletic performance and longevity comes from that linear progression. Mm-hmm. Now, what did I do 10 years ago? Am I able to continue? And then am I smart enough? And then just really being smarter in terms of how you're approaching it. Like, are you tracking your sleep? Are you getting your blood work done? And if you are getting your blood work done and maybe getting your gut checked, are you, you know, uh, making sure you're hitting all your micronutrients? Um, are you, you know, fixing anything that looks like it's broken and not putting your head in the sand? Because unfortunately, most people don't start doing that stuff until something drastic happens. Like, oh, I'm having a heart attack or I'm sick or I can't get out of bed. People in this country don't really make a change until something awful happens. Like if all of a sudden you lost 20 pounds, the first thing people would say to you, are you okay? Did you, did you get sick? Well, what do you mean? I just want to drop 20 pounds. Well, the only time people do that is when they get some scare for the doctor. So I think what it comes down to is being proactive, not only in your training, addressing things, not ignoring them, getting out, finding like a, you know, we work with a guy named Tom Inkladon out of Cosenta uh, in Scottsdale, Arizona, who's, you know, been my friend for over 20 years and has done all my blood work and supplements and really just been a guy in my corner for, you know, as a young NFL player. And we're still good friends to this day and I still go out and see him. And now I take all my kids and my wife to go see him. But like having somebody in your corner who, you know, hey, I got 20 years of blood work that we've done every six months. So now he can look at trends over time when, and say, hey, we need to fix this. We need to fix this. And then try like either different supplement strategies or different kind of modalities to be able to continue to drive performance. And Aaron, I want to close the loop on something John said, like the history leading up to where you're at now. You know, you, you build these based off of what you did, whether it's play sports or not, work out or not. You, you train these metabolic pathways, but you also develop compensation patterns and movement patterns. So let's say a guy has been pack hunting but never training or lifting weights. It is possible based off of you know hiking up and down some steep terrain that you develop a quad dominant gait, meaning you're using your quads to do things that maybe your hit your hamstrings and your glutes should do just because of the amount of reps and steps. Well what that's going to do is can probably result in some knee pain it's probably going to result in a higher risk, injury risk of an ACL injury because we know that a po- that posterior chain is what's meant to really seed that knee and, and really help extend the knee and the hip. So how can you retrain your body to be more posteriorly dominant? Will you move in a specific way when you lunge with dumbbells or a sandbag or a barbell? You move in a specific way during squatting and things like that. I got to interrupt you on this because you like literally hit the nail on the head. So an entire lifetime of backpacking, right? In the military, when I say backpacking, rucking, whatever. And, and I, and I've, I've always lifted, but I, you know, the squat rack is something I, I did not, um, 
I did leg day, so I didn't look like a bitch, but I did not like <laughs> leg day. And at a certain point in time, like I don't have much of an ass, but I could squat a relatively decent amount. And uh, gentlemen like yourselves that actually knew what they were talking about, they're like, dude, you have a lifetime of compensating with part of your body rucking and once yeah. a week squatting. Pull your fucking head out of your ass. And then they said exactly what you did. You need to start lunging with dumbbells. And they, they gave me this list of different things, which I started focusing on because they were like, you're going to have IT band issues. You're going to have outer knee problems. You're, you know, and they started talking about the different, like the, they, they said, they were la laughing. They said, you know, that thing, the, the, the thing that chicks do where they're on all fours and they, the dog peeing on the fire hydrant thing. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah, they, I would. They were yeah. they, only do a, it naked. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you're picking like, a fire hydrant, <laughs> as a, as an example, that is something to build up certain parts of your body that are lacking. But they actually had me hook this uh, harness to my foot, um, like on the uh, Smith machine, and then extend away. Anyway, it doesn't matter, and I'm probably screwing up the explanation. But they were like, you have a a lifetime. One day a week is not going to fix the other six days a week of you rucking, like you have to get more equaled out. Um, I don't know if you guys agree yeah. with that, but they certainly uh, the, see this shit's real tricky, man. Like, um, I don't know when prehab and rehab became training for most of these fucking people. Mm -hmm. So like there, there was this weird like uh, intersection. I think it happened in like the nineties where all of a sudden all like the ATCs and the PTs decided to get into the strength world. And all of a sudden, that's when you see these people with bands and doing all the stupid shit. And I'm like, dude, there's a prehab rehab protocol for a lot of things. But unfortunately, uh, that's not training. That's prehab and rehab. And anytime I see people that like, you know, are uh, doing jazzy bells or all this other kind of prehab rehab stuff, man, and they're like calling up their training program, it's not. Like that is the stuff you do to address certain issues that you have or things that you do before and after within like your prehab rehab kind of, you know, time blocking. But at the end of the day, where's the meat and the potatoes? Where's the basic compound movements? Where's mm -hmm. the type of uh, stuff that we can? And like, as you said, no ass in this, I'm, I'm imagining as you squat, you probably have a real vertical torso, shove your knees super far forward and drive everything into your quads. And anything yep. that looks back like me sitting back where all of a sudden, you know, we would get you into a point uh, like in, like within the squat, like it's, it's impossible to fire the glute without your big toe on the ground. Yeah. So what you're doing is you're driving forward, which is actually good in that you're getting your big toe on the ground because you're driving forward but there's so much uh, positive shin angle that you're not really loading anything within the posterior chain and the hamstrings. And that probably comes from like a ton of downhill Dude, walking. So it is so bad that, um, which Jesus Christ, we're going down a lot of rabbit holes here. When I do get custom orthotics and they put me, they do my mold and put me on the treadmill. Oh God. Something fucking ridiculous. 82% of my weight is on my big toe and the front inner portion of my foot um, because of everything I've done fucked up and I've never talked to people like you. Now I've modified, worked my way around it. I got this crazy ass grinder thing. I got to grind my big toe down cause I'm a toe walker and there are certain movements in the gym that I am very good at. And there's other movements where I literally look like a monkey fucking a football Bro, because you, of not you've equaling. Got, <laughs> dude, you've, walked, you've probably walked the globe twice in shitty fucking army issued boots you probably haven't done any sort of footwork to make sure well, you can like I pronate, he's supinate. Got some high high end like uh like what are the high end boots like the like Ken Tech or, or what? No, nah, Ken Tech. Um, okay. I do now like Scarpa, La Sportiva, Hanvog, like mountaineering boots. I have custom orthotics now, and 
But back then, yes, I did travel around the world in horrible boots, but it wasn't just the the footwear. Um, it was also um, like you guys talking about training like Gold Squadron or, or Dev Grew or CAG do, or whatever. Do you have uh, flat feet or do you have uh, high arches? Flatter than fuck, and I am pronated. I bro, walk on the outsides of my bro, feet. Bro, we got you. So, we got you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, we, we did a really um, – I got really obsessed, and I think we all did uh, at this table uh, with the idea of being like – uh, 99.9% of our contact with the earth is through our foot and the foot becomes the catalyst for everything. If my feet are broken, everything I've trained is broken. And, um, so this stems back to like 1999, I have high arches and there was an old Jewish podiatrist we had, uh, named Lee Cohen. And he, uh, he looked at my feet and he said, Hey man, uh, I either got to make you orthotics today, or I'm going to show you how to stretch your feet to keep them nice and mobile. Cause what happens is, is when you have a high arch, uh, your foot becomes extremely rigid and you'll have more problems. People that have real flat feet, their foot tends to stay more flexible. So he showed me a whole series of stretches for my feet. And he's like, if you promise not to wear shoes and stretch your feet at least once a day, I won't make you orthotics. And so I did. And I was able to maintain flexibility in my feet. And then we got really kind of tied into this idea of like the big toe. So like the way we teach a squat is a more toes forward squat so that I can drive my big toe on the ground. Because as I watched thousands of people squat poorly, everybody was really sitting back and lifting their toes and sitting on their heels. And uh, we just got really tweaked on this idea of foot health and the idea of uh, how do I maintain flexibility and strength? How do I splay my toes? What are the things that I'm doing to maintain foot health and not only make sure that my foot has uh, the loading and just the, um, I guess, like the flexibility and just the, the ability to store tension and all these other key factors. And am I replicating it not only in my training, but am I also creating uh, the best opportunity to stay healthy? And then, um, you know, we ended up, uh, Matt Zanis is one of our PTs, got really into it. And then we had, we just had a podcast with uh, Dr. Emily Splitchell, um, who's a big, yeah, dude. you know, who's if you got, melt your brain on if this If you one. got a couple of hours, that, that's like a I'm hard I'm about ask. to sit in a ground blind for 14 hours. I have got all oh, the time fuck. in the world. Buddy. Download this podcast and to your <laughs> listeners too. It's it's episode 377 just was announced. You're you I I didn't realize how important the bottom of your fucking feet are. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. Power Athlete Radio episode 377 Dr. Emily Splitchell. Yeah, and I guess that's half I'm not going to lie to Aaron, half shameless plug for our podcast, but uh, also oh, like no, it's, very yeah. um very We're, authentic and sincere uh call, um call to action to like learn about how important your feet are and the th- like our orthotics aren't bad. And that's kind of the thing that like when I hear that term, it's like, ah, but imagine like what it, what it, I've heard it related to by, from some of our PTs is like, imagine just having your arm in a sling all day, every day where you didn't have to use it. What's that arm going to do? It's going to atrophy. So there, like if you need your arm in a sling for a short period of time to do something specific, then put your arm in the sling to do something specific for a short period of time. But if you don't need it in there, you should be trying to build the strength, build the capacity, build the flexibility so that it can move as intended instead of you relying on it to be immobilized or supported by this this external structure. Well, what also happens too is I see you have flat feet. Oh, you need orthotics instead of teaching you how to make arches and how to maintain arches. Yeah, strengthen the foot. And what's pretty interesting, if you were to stand up, for example, and kind of stand barefoot, and you were to put your big toes and press them as hard as you can in the ground and then drive your knees out without kind of rolling up on the outside, keeping that big toe pressed in, um, that, big, that big toe driving into the ground, and look down, I guarantee you'll see a slight arch in your foot. 
And what we found is that people that have developed flat feet over time, a lot of it comes from a weak glute from their knee caving all the time. And then all of a sudden that foot get, tends to get flattened. So we've actually seen where people start doing some things like squatting barefoot, driving their knees out, keeping their big toe on the ground. And all of a sudden they've created arches, learned to splay their toes. And then as their foot strength and their arch starts to return, all of a sudden their back pain goes away and they start having less problems. And Aaron, it's not going to come easy. Think yeah, of this I, is brushing your teeth. If you do these things every day, and we'll email you the videos and just to, to have this foot health routine, almost like your bedtime routine, and hit it everywhere after long days or as your warm-up to prep for the day. Well, And one of the things I want to add to this is when people talk to me about orthotics, and in my case, you know, 40 years of fucked up feet and not doing the right thing, I almost had to have, well, not almost, I had to have them for the some of the specific issues I had right. as a quick sure. fix. Or a, you know, if I had that, you know, if let's say I talked with that lady personally and I'm like, hey, um, you know, on average, I'm putting this many miles on the ground uh, a year. And oh, by the way, uh, several of those miles are 120 to 150 pounds on my back. Yeah. Um, and I don't have time to walk around in bare feet a lot, but I can do it sometimes. The idea from podiatrists I've talked to is the best thing you can do is walk around in bare feet at a younger age, strengthen your feet, um, and, and have more of the um, traditional Native American yeah. foot strength. I have feet like a bitch. I can hardly walk across <laughs> carpet, yeah, literally but, on a stock where I have to go into socks. But, uh, but dude, that's, uh, this is a product of like, I mean, unfortunately, like we're just meeting you at 44, but like this is a product of, uh, you know, standard medical procedure. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. and this is, I'm, I'm not using this at any one podiatrist, but the way podiatrists make money is to put you on orthotics. Uh, it was funny. We went to a podiatrist. I, I sent Luke to a, a podiatrist I met because I, this was crazy. I had like um, uh, athlete's foot. So my entire NFL career, I never had athlete's foot. All of a sudden, like I was on an airplane. I took my shoes off to stretch them and I got off the airplane with athlete's foot. It was the weirdest fucking thing. That's not weird. That uh, seems well, pretty. Oh, you're I, lucky. I, I, yeah. <laughs> so I go to this podiatrist and uh, he and I'm like asking him, like, hey, how do I kill this thing? Like and he looks at me. He's like, oh, man, you got high arches. I should make you orthotics. I'm like, don't you say that about mm -hmm. people with flat feet? He's like, yeah. And I was like, I'm good. And I was like, dude, like, uh, no, I'm, I'm good. And so then I sent Luke to the guy. Cause yeah, because I, I got some fungus. I got some funk going under my toenail. He's like, oh, you know how you fix toe fungus? Orthotics. I'm like, get the fuck yeah, out of he, here. He, he was like, oh, it comes from not having orthotics in your toe uh, nail rubbing on the shoe. I was Micro trauma. Like, I, I told Luke, I'm like, just fucking run, man. But that's that's how. Um, so so the pro, it, it's like um, uh, if you go like I'm trying to think of how I use this. Like, like you wouldn't go to a mechanic that only had a hammer. And I think for a lot of these guys, and mm -hmm. when I talked to him, I was like, what about stretching your feet? What about this? And I went through this whole thing. He's like, yeah, that's great. But nobody does that. It's just easier for me to make orthotics. Yeah. I'm like, that's the same thing Lee Cohen told me. And the crazy part is Lee Cohen's dad was a podiatrist in New York City back around the turn of the century. And like, you know, he was probably in his 70s when I met him in, the, in, the, in around 2000. So his dad would have been, you know, around the turn of the century. And he made a funny point to me. He goes, what do you think podiatrists did when, before they could make orthotics? And I was like, I don't know. He's like, they helped you with your shoe. They taught you how to stretch your feet. They taught you all of these kind of uh, home remedies or all these kind of tricks on how to maintain foot health. And uh, he talked about like back in the day that the shoes used to be wider and, you know, went through all these things. And he's like, podiatrists actually had to fix people's feet. Now mm -hmm. we just make fucking orthotics and we try to band-aid it, but it doesn't work. I will say the one podiatrist, well, he's not a podiatrist. He does prosthetics, podiatrist, all kinds of shit. 
uh, Scott. Now, Scott definitely was the the guy you're talking about. He's like, hey, uh, you've you've rubbed the, the you know the fatty pad is gone on certain parts of your foot, so you're gonna you know I'm gonna make some cutouts. But when he was telling me this, he said, you have got to, and he listed out all these stretches, foam roll. Nice. He said, nice. I'm putting a Band-Aid on a, a bullet hole here. This will get you through, but what you need to do, and I started doing calf drops every morning, stretch your hamstrings. He's like, this shit is connected all the way down your body. So if you're getting plantar fasciitis, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a foot problem. Your, your calf muscle may be balled up, which it was like a motherfucker that is stretching around your heel. And I'm not a doctor. He explained it to me. So I just did I'm good soldier. <laughs> I did what he told me and it went away. And he's like, now these, there's nothing wrong with having orthotics in your foot, in your boot because of what you do, but it is a bandaid. You have right. got to start looking at the long game. Uh, Cause my, I've gained a fucking full size in my footwear from my, my arches flattening. Um, and he's like, well, look dude, to a certain degree, you're past the point of no return for me um, getting you on the right path. What we're going to do now is basically triage. We are <laughs> we are going to get you. Uh, dude, we've seen people with extremely flat feet develop arches, but they have to do it under load, challenging posture and position the way that we squat. So like what um, – uh, so like I don't think that uh, uh, anything's ever a lost case. Like, oh, I can't do this. The problem is is that people don't have enough tools in the toolbox and what we found is that if I can get somebody into a proper squat position, toes forward, big toes in the ground, driving the knees out slightly to create an arch, and then we challenge that posture or challenge that movement through doing full range of motion movements and maintaining posture and position, getting you to squat pop, uh, properly, not with a ton of shin angle, but maybe even, even with the big toes, and we can get you to move through those full range of motion movements with enough weight to continue to drive, you know, uh, to rewire and drive adaptation and all the other like jiggy shit from, you know, rate coding and myelination and all the other stuff associated with strength training, inter and intermuscular coordination, we can actually create arches and start to fix some of these problems. And I'll tell you this, this isn't bullshit. I've seen it. Xanus did it. I remember I was, I would make fun of him and then he'll send me a videos on occasion with the fact that he has arches now. And this has been probably a three to four year deal where his feet were fucking flat as pancakes. Well, what it's funny what you're talking about with the squatting. Uh, I had a guy that was telling me exactly what you are. He said, when you get home, if you don't believe me, look in the mirror. And he was talking about what's going to happen when you squat. And he's talking about how I'm going to roll to the outsides and my knees are going to go from, I'm going to start in perfect form. And as I drive upward, and I may be fucking this up a little bit, I'm going to start to roll to the outsides of my feet. My knees are going to bow straight out and I'm going to shift my weight from where it should be to where I'm most comfortable with and the strongest. He's like, you got to stop fucking doing that. You have got to make your body uh, over time with what you're talking about to, to start create arches, go a, it is going to feel so, it'll be like wiping with your left hand. If you've wiped with your right, the whole life, it will feel foreign, but over time you have to put the time in. Of course I, I didn't. And I just put orthotics in and stretched and said, fuck it, I'm good. But over time he said it would help. And it sounds like you guys are saying the identical. Well, uh, thing. yeah, but the, what's interesting is that, um, and we, we've done this uh, a million times is that you, you start developing movement patterns that feel comfortable to you and until you actually physically see them in a mirror on video and have somebody like, I mean, we used to do this all the time in football, like, hey, uh, I thought of my technique was perfect in there. And then you watch the video and you're like, huh, fuck, I was doing this. And then you're able to go back and make corrections. So what you almost need to do is, is either have somebody there that knows what the fuck they're doing, that's got their head wired up, 
or you got to take some video or you got to be able to do it in a mirror. The tricky part with that is you have to know what you're looking at. Like I, I got into a weird thing where I started losing range of motion in my shoulder. So I started tilting the bar on my back so that my, the right part of the weight was coming forward and it was actually angled across my back. And then I would kind of shrug my shoulder into this weird position. And I'll tell you this, it felt totally comfortable. And it wasn't until we put a mirror up where I was like looking at it and I'm like, holy shit, that looks like fucking ass. And then all of a sudden I, I corrected it, got it where it was supposed to looking right. And it felt so foreign, but without seeing that or getting some visual representation of it, it was, um, it was the pattern that I became accustomed to. It's the same with shooting when you video a guy, uh, shooting and he thinks he has good form and then you video him and you're like, here, look at this. And you're like, Oh fuck I suck that is exactly what happened when I watched in the mirror I'm like Jesus Christ that dude rubbed his crystal ball he told me exactly what I would look like in the mirror and I literally wrote the script of how fucked up I am as I, I literally a three-foot movement I'm like holy shit yeah I am all fucked up but I it felt good I'm like surely this guy's wrong and then as I, I watched exactly like you said you know in the mirror so as, as weird as this is um you know, and I talk to tell people to do this while they're shooting, get a tripod, set the camera up and, and video yourself. Some of the more um, the more Olympic movements or, or things. Basically, what I'm saying is if you have really fucked up form, video yourself to confirm mm -hmm. it so you can also correct it. And it sounds like you guys are somewhat agreeing with yep. that as long as you have somebody helping you that knows what they're doing. Yeah, Aaron, two two things on that. I want you to take into consideration and you teach people how to shoot. So when you're faced with the footwork that we're going to send you or anything you don't want to do, I want you to be the athlete or be the student that you would want to coach or teach. Gotcha. I, I can do that uh, for you guys uh, because uh, most of the time on the other stuff, I, I, I you know, admittedly, I'm like, ah, I'm doing all right. I don't have time. And then I, I fuck it off, which was fine when I was younger. I'm past that point of where I can wing it because of you. Look at you. Um, Look at you. <laughs> well, you know, up. Yeah, you develop a little bit of like um, taking a slice of humble pie. Well, no, is that, is, like, did I use that right? I think as you get older, the uh, the the desire to be more successful becomes more important than the desire to be right. Like I don't want to be right; I just want to mm. win. And I think like you get to the point. Like I remember in my 30s, like being right was important. I don't care who's fucking right or wrong. I just want to be successful. I want to win. Um, I remember, uh, geez, years ago, shit, it would almost have to be maybe 10 years ago, uh, I went and I, I wanted to become a much more proficient uh, pistol shooter, but I also wanted to be much more proficient with like transitioning from a pistol to a rifle and doing some more tactical stuff. So I was working with these guys from Naval Special Warfare, and I felt like, uh, like if I'm going to go work with these dudes, I need to at least, if I'm going to do a demo or talk to them about their specific stuff, I should at least be able to fucking make it look like I shoot. And I'd been invited to go out to um, Mid-South, which is one of the shooting schools that they go to, uh, which is Shaw's Mid-South um, down in Mississippi. And I didn't want to look like an asshole. So uh, I worked with a good friend of ours, friend of the program, uh, Jeff Gonzalez, who's a former SEAL. And he's got a company called Tricon Industries. So Jeff and I went out and we shot like, I mean, we must have shot uh, a thousand rounds of, of nine mil and like a thousand rounds of five, five to six over like eight hours out at this pistol bay and um, uh, Rahagi's in, in uh, the Inland Empire in California. And it was pretty amazing the way that he was managing recoil, not only in drawing his pistol and transitioning and shooting the, you know, the rifle was identical movements to how we teach athleticism based off of our athletic uh, blueprint. You know, the idea of like, hey, I want to have my feet forward, uh, knees over my insteps. I want to be able to load, you know, uh, be able to drop and retract my shoulder blades, pull the gun in, you know, neutral head position. All the things that he was teaching on how to manage recoil and transition and be smooth 
were identical to what we were teaching within our universal athletic uh, or universal athleticism blueprint and how we were teaching athletes and all the things that he found on how to mitigate recoil and smooth transitions were the same things that we knew within force bleed demos, change of direction running. And it was one of those things is like, as we're shooting, I'm, I'm explaining to him why, uh, the things that he's doing are working in the way that they are. And he ended up, we ended up leaving there. And even though he was teaching me, he, we ended up taking him on as a private client and helping him develop an amazing level of not only proficiency, fitness, fixed all of his injuries to the point where he's one of our biggest champions. Um, and, you know, I ended up going out to mid south, and I think in like a group of like twenty dudes, I finished in the top five, not only in shooting but everything in that weekend, just from the mere fact that like I didn't have as many bullets down range as these guys, but I understood movement, I understood how to mitigate uh, recoil, and I knew how to move through space efficiently. And um, you know, I'm sure a little athleticism from playing in the NFL helped, um, but these things are real. And what's pretty amazing is we've met people that are are you know masters of industry like you or people at the top of their game like Jeff. And, um, you know, we've been able to not only understand what they're doing, but translate it and put and help them become better versions of yourself. Like I think a lot of people that are reaching out to you are trying to, you know, Oh, I can rebuild you. I can do this, man. I'm not trying to rebuild anybody. All I need to be is being able to, you know, like level up your foundation, pack a little sandbags, make sure that you're the best version of you. Because at the end of the day, uh, you need to go long, you need to go far, and you need to kill a lot of shit. So I just got to make you more lethal, sharpen your blade, and make sure you get home on time. Yeah, and I, I would say, and, and uh, seems, like, and you guys are also good at doing that for a long period of time, obviously. And the the talking about like the humble pie or the the shorter sided of thing. I don't think I stretched until I was thirty six to the point I had to wipe from the front. And I'm not nice. a giant guy, <laughs> but I had almond joys. I I got so bowed the up. Old that, shitty nuts. Now, do you oh, go back Jesus. to front or front to back? I've never tried it. Yeah, I've never well, wiped you, I mean, if you're wiping from the front, you got to try to go from front to back. Otherwise, you do get some your twig and berries dirty. Uh, uh, but, what about like uh, east and west? <laughs> that'd be awkward. I don't. I haven't tried that. There's the not a lot of square wiper. footage to go left and right. I just though. thought you did the uh, what, do you, what do you call that? The blender where you just wrap your hand and just blender it in there. <laughs> Fist it. Oh, ooh, I like that. Oh, good lord. Well, I mean, however you wipe, uh, if you haven't stretched. <laughs> It uh, it can be difficult from the back, and so I, I had some IT band issues, and I'm literally like, "What is it?" I I I was about seven miles in solo, and I I hiked in fine. It was all uphill, and when I dropped down, I literally had this knife jabbing me in the side of my knee. No, I'd never taken ibuprofen, never taken anything. Of course, I've never stretched. Um, I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Did I did I pu- pull an ACL or an MCL or some you know, uh, three lettered problem I'm going to have and can't get out? So I I duct tape my knee straight and I'm like, I'm gonna have to hike out. Of course, elk are bugling in the morning and I totally just limped my ass around and I I ended up killing one. And a and a hiker uh, who was hunting, he's kind of a mountaineering guy that transferred into a hunter, ended up hiking by me because he saw that I had killed an elk and. He didn't see me till he got super close, and he sees me limping, and he he hands me some ibuprofen and an Nalgene and tells me to to roll on this Nalgene on my IT band, and literally pissed, t- dripped out the tip of my wiener. I was in so much fucking pain because I had never stretched, and so he's like, "Hey, uh, you know, sit on this rock and put your foot over your left knee." And my knee is like pointed at a forty-five degree angle upwards. I can't. That's how inflexible I was. And he was like, dude, have you ever stretched? And I'm like, no. 
And I'm like, never. And, Did you ever see a cheetah and, stretch? Fuck you. Yeah, that's before, what you, yeah, before you see a lion stretch when it chases after a gazelle. I'm like, man, I don't do that shit. And he, he's like, you got to start foam rolling. That was kind of the turning point where I'm like, okay. And I ripped my bicep off not too mm. long after that. And yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm not Superman. I really need to start focusing on the longevity of my body. And I think most guys, unless they are around certain people, don't pay attention to any of that shit until they get into their 40s. And unlike you know, you guys had brought up earlier, it's almost too late. It's fixing a problem at that point. I don't know how you what you guys feel how you feel about that, but well, Aaron, I wish here, I would have. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. uh, like we're not mad at the foam roller, we're not mad at stretching, we're not mad at yoga, we're not mad at any of this stuff. But this is where I, I, you know this concept of movement and how you're moving versus movements and the movements you use to get strong or get in shape or to stretch. Even if you move right, you can do all of this at the same time. You can strength train. Like putting a barbell on your back and sitting down into the bottom of a squat is nothing more than, you know, John, you're stretching with a barbell on your back. You can you can get that stretching it's in. weighted stretching. Yeah, you can get that stretching in, whether it's passive or active. Passive being unloaded, active being under load. And there like there's efficacy to all of this. And I guess to get into the weeds a little bit, all these things, whether it's rolling out, dry needling, cupping, uh, massage, stretch like fisting. static stretching, fisting, wiping left to right. All of this stuff, um, like it, it works, but what it's doing is it's like hacking into that CNS. Your body has structure. That's your tendon, your ligament, your muscle, your bone, that structure. But all of that stuff only, like it's just a pile of watery flesh without the nervous system. And that nervous system is all the nerves innervating these tissues and this structure to, te- to, to signal it to do stuff. So well, it, Go ahead. I, just to, to add li- or to chime in on this, because this is the one thing I took after I got off the podcast with you guys and started listening to your podcasts. What you're saying is I wouldn't need to stretch or whatever if I would have built my body correctly and not been so fucked up because of inefficiencies in certain parts of my body. That's why my IT band acted up. It wasn't for lack of stretching. It was because I it was not a full body. I was basically atrophy or whatever you want to call it certain parts of my body were overcompensating and i was undercompensating and yeah. others you guys focus right yeah, you were are a full body uh full body movements or or building your body the best it can be rather than oh i'm all fucked up now let me stretch and fix it you guys get it to where it doesn't get fucked up that's the if goal now bro there's nothing wrong with stretching like if it, if stretching and rolling out got you out of the pain like you d- win, right? Going to like, who cares how the fuck it works? Yep. Uh, it, it's getting well, you. I this, would agree with why, you, though. I would have rather not rolling, gotten there. So, so uh, there's <laughs> right, kind of right. a misconception on the foam rolling. And if anybody ever tells you that it's remodeling tissue, sprint the other way. <laughs> so it takes about ten thousand pounds per <laughs> limp, square inch. Limp the other way. Yeah, limp the other way. <laughs> so just the research goes with it takes ten thousand pounds uh, per square inch to remodel pressure, tissue. One yeah. percent. So what foam rolling doing is it isn't remodeling tissue. And anybody that says that's a fucking snake oil salesman, what it's doing is it's relaxing your nervous system and it's allowing you to get into greater ranges of motion than you were able to beforehand, which is extremely useful. Unless, uh, it's useful if and only if, if you go use that range of motion in a, that new range of motion in a meaningful way. Yeah. For example, if we were to have you foam roll and stretch, we would immediately, once we were done, we would go do some form of strength work 
that allows you to take advantage of that new range of motion mm -hmm. because once that happens, now I start ingraining it and now the nervous system starts getting used to being in that range of motion. Under stress as well. So Under saying, stress. Hey, man, this is safe. Yeah. IT band, you can I'm chill, bitch, chill. It. So the problem comes cool. down to is we have all these people that are stretching and trying to be flexible and do all these things but aren't using that new flexibility, that newfound central nervous system efficiency or relaxation in a meaningful way to effectively program it. So that's why these people are stretching all day and they're not fucking getting any better. They can't do this because they don't understand that they're just relaxing the nervous system to allow for new ranges of motion mm -hmm. and then they're not using these new ranges of motion. I, I think this is one thing I actually did correctly out of Look at af you. After, after talking with you guys, most of everything I've actually done wrong was and this is off of YouTube, I'll admit. Maybe it was you guys I listened to. Who knows? <laughs> they they were like, hey, if you have to take ibuprofen, whatever, foam roll, get it relaxed. Um, and then they said, go work on. And then they pointed out four or five different movements and in, in, in strengthening portions to help get you equaled back out. And I'm not explaining that worth a shit. Pretty much what you guys just said. They're like, if you just stretch, it does no good because it just tenses back yeah. up. You have to take uh, full advantage of loosening that and relaxing that and building up the parts you're deficient in, which sounds like mm -hmm. I did that actually correct. There you go. When, I'm about when I, when I opened over. my gym, <laughs> uh, when I opened my gym, uh, so I had a commercial gym in 2008, 2009. We, uh, we started going to like this yoga place. I was doing Ashanti yoga a few days a week, I think, because my, my wife wanted to go. And we ended up making friends with them, and they wanted to trade. They wanted to come and do some strength training and wanted us to come and do some Ashanti, or they wanted to come do it for uh, some of our people. And what was pretty amazing was that these you know, extremely flexible yogi people that could, you know, fucking... Fit in a shoebox. Yeah, like, dude, it was unbelievable. But the minute you put them under load, like, and I'm not talking like a heavy load. I'm talking like maybe like 55, 65 pounds on a barbell on their backs. All of a sudden, not a single one of them could hit any usable range of motion, and they all look like a, like a dog shitting a razor blade. And like their ability to move was so bad. And what I came to the conclusion is that people are trying to use passive range of motion as a way to drive active range of motion. Because passive range of motion is fucking useless. Okay, I can sit down and relax and get in these positions, which is good. But at the end of the day, what I need you to do is I need you to be flexible under load with active range of motion, like whether or not you're walking with a heavy pack. So how does doing uh, some form of passive range of motion stretching help Aaron with a 120-pound pack on his back fucking hiking up a 30-foot you know, grade? And it, it doesn't because you're not strong in that range of motion. You've never forced yourself to be flexible within that active range of motion. And it was crazy to me, man. Like these people were so flexible. Put them under any load, nowhere near that flexibility. What was crazy was everybody that trained with us that was flexible under load could go and do all their stuff no problem. And all that ended up happening was we stopped going to Ashanti and those people started coming and strength training more because <laughs> they asked. They were like, well, how do we fix this? I'm like, well, you need to stop stretching so much because you become hypermobile and you need to be stronger with some form of fucking uh, resistance under a barbell. Because your body weight training is only going to get you so far. Gravity is only going to get you so far. At, at some point, you have to try to defy gravity a little bit with something heavy on the bar. And the problem is, is you guys have relaxed your nervous system to the point where it doesn't know how to fucking fight. Like, so it's um, – the problem is, and we see this in the fitness world, is people are just spinning the same shit that everybody's spinning. And nobody really knows what they're fucking talking about because nobody's using this in an active way. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, the only people that people are looking to to say, hey, you know what? Uh, this guy must know what he's doing. He's got a fucking eight pack. Uh, this guy looks fucking amazing on Instagram. He must know what he's doing. 
there's a good chance that those guys don't know what they're fucking doing. It's just the fact that they, you know, yeah. uh, you know, knew how to suffer and take enough drugs and do all the other key things so they can get one really good fucking picture. But at the end of the day, when you talk to them, you're like, what's your background? Oh, shit. Okay, so you just got in this thing two or three years ago because you knew how to run fucking sales funnels on Instagram. Like, uh, like, and whenever people ask me, I'm like, hey, man, like, at the end of the day, I don't know everything, but um, I have a collection of the most extraordinary gentlemen as friends that do know everything, and collectively, we put our brains together, and we'll figure this thing out, and at the end of the day, uh, what does that pedigree look like? How much, how, like, um, everybody at this table has traveled the world and been on every continent on this planet and taught athletic form training to the masses. Except Antarctica. Yeah, well, yeah, well nobody can go to Antarctica because that's where the aliens are. Um, that's what Rogan says. No, I'm not sure if that's what <laughs> yeah. said or not. But. And another, I think also it's just a confusion of what, like, people think fitness and think weight loss. And, man, you could wear, I just watched Vision Quest yesterday, you could wear a plastic suit and sit on an exercise bike and lose a bunch of weight and starve yourself, but that doesn't prepare you to do the shit you want to do if there's a performance objective on the other end of that weight loss, like go fucking pack hunting. Or drag a harrow through the fucking pasture. So I, I have uh, horse pastures, and uh, we turn a bunch, our neighbor turns a bunch of horses out, and the horse shit gets all fucking, you know, like big piles. So I have a harrow that I drag to break it all up, and uh, we drug the harrow, and that motherfucker weighs like 250 pounds, and we're dragging it through the pastures. With, that with sounds hooks. horrible. Yeah, with hooks. <laughs> it was awful, and I was like, man, like... This is the type of fitness we need. I don't know why, but at the mm -hmm. end of the world, we're going to have to drag a harrow over a lot of people. I, I got a question uh, that I'm going to open up for you guys, and then I'm going to run and pee while you're answering it. Um, <laughs> so there is a lot of, in the outdoor industry, you've got the, um, the buff, um, and I, I, without getting myself into too much trouble, guys that get fucked with a lot because they're like really... Um, the perfect body gym rat, whatever. And then they may, they may not kill anything, but they look really good. And then you've got some fatties, um, that kill all kinds of shit and you got some long distance runners and you, you know, you've got all this mixed bag of, of, uh, of different athletes or non athletes or whatever, the pretty boys, you got everything. One of the things like I, I have gotten, uh, fucked with a little bit cause I don't run. Right. And, and I'm like, well, I've never ran after an animal. Well, I say I don't run, I'll do intervals, but I'm not going to go run 20 miles. If you want to do that, great. It's just not my thing. Like more I like just, Cameron Haynes? Yeah, Cam runs a fuckload, right? That's yeah. his thing. Yeah, he, and, well, and, he's, he's a fucking um, endurance runner who runs like 50, 100-mile marathons. And, and, and Cam's a little bit different of an animal because, well, no one – I mean, you're not going to be Cam. Not very many people are. My buddy Hoff, who's, he runs like Cam does. But for the most part, let's not talk about the unicorns. Um, sure. Let's just talk about the, the average guy. Would he be better off, um, like, am I screwing up by only doing backpack cardio interval, interval training and trying to focus on the exact thing I'm doing in the field? Should I integrate more running? Because I've seen a lot of long-distance runners put a pack on their back, and they're fucked. They cannot handle the weight. With 30 pounds, they're fine. 50, 60, 70, they're faltering badly. And the same thing would be said if you had me go run five miles. I'd be like, go fuck yourself. I don't want to run five miles, and I'm not going to. I might breathe too hard, but I'll go do backpack cardio. Obviously, that's not very well-rounded. What would you give advice to guys that are doing a lot of backpack hunting? Like mm -hmm. what workout quickly, obviously, there's a lot more to it than this. Are they better off to run, mix it up, backpack cardio? What What would you suggest? It's a, it's a good question, and um – I guess it would depend. So let's start this way. 
let's go back to that tr- life cycle training. If you're a brand new, if you're brand new to working out or to training, and you all you've done is maybe some running and some packing and rucking and stuff like that, the most significant gains are going to come from a strength focused type of template for about the first 20 weeks. Do you think that's fair to say? Yeah, it's, I'd say like the first like 20 to six months. Yes. Would be, yeah. What would that be? Uh, 24 weeks. Yeah, 24, yeah, 24 weeks. 24. So that, like, if that's your first exposure, here's what it should look like. It should look like, uh, you know, three to four days a week of strength type of training. And that strength and what you benefit from that strength, it's not going to necessarily be an increase in muscle mass. I mean, that's going to happen, but it's going to be an improvement in your neurological efficiency. And that's going to help literally every other performance trait that contributes to your hunting. And skill acquisition. And your ability, yes, exactly. And your ability to learn new movements or um, even like it would probably even help your endurance shit. But you need to focus on that strength for the first part of it. Then after that, it kind of becomes more individualized. And I would say it kind of depends on what's going to keep you compliant. Because like you said, Aaron, there's guys out there who need to run. Like if you need to run a couple days, then fucking run a couple days. If you don't need to run a couple days, don't run. But it should still be, and this is what John talked about earlier, the demands of this pack hunting are kind of low gear, long duration. If your training should resemble that a bit, but let's just say, I mean, because you going out there and pack hunting or you playing your sport, if we were to take it even out in a more general sense, when you practice, there's a training stimulus. When you play your sport or when it's game time, that's the most potent and highest level training stimulus that you are exposing your body to. So it still needs to recover from that. But your training should not only prepare you for to, to, to display that stimulus, but it should also uh, complement and fill the gaps that aren't necessarily displayed in that stimulus. So in the sense of pack hunting, you need some lower rep, higher um, higher weight or faster type of movements in your training at least twice a week. And gotcha. to, to add on to that, a lot of the training should, as Luke said, complement it. Also, should prepare you to recover from those long days. So your training shouldn't dig and bury you into the ground. If you're adding in explosive power cleans, jumps, or lower rep sets of squats, the three to five range, mm-hmm. your body will work on the processes they're going to recover from those fives more efficiently than they would for the long grinds. So even though your your 10 to 14 days out in the wild are long grinds each day, you can accelerate the efficiency of your ability to recover using the three to five or the explosive sets and reps to complement what is ahead. Even though it's not specific to what's ahead, your body still needs to recover faster from those more dynamic, explosive. In Texas, movements. talking talking some reps and some movements. So when we talk about strength training, we we stick to the classic barbell movements. They're just the most. They've been the most effective with the most amount of people. We're talking about squatting, barbell back squatting. We're talking about bench pressing. We're talking about shoulder standing military press. We're talking about the deadlift. But um, Luke, all of these, uh, everything you're talking about fits within the GPP realm. Right. right. So, so that's your general physical preparedness, and that doesn't change for individuals. So the problem is, is that people think that if they, you know, hey, like uh, I'm going out and uh, I'm going to run or I'm going to do these things, this still fits within that kind of GPP model. What you're doing with like going heavy on the ruck, and what I would, the only thing I would caution you against is, um, is there a weight that like, like 
let's say you went out, and you just walked, obviously that, or uh, uh, like like went on like a fast pace, you know, kind of a ruck, like hey, I'm fucking kind of in a, you know, with no pack. Uh, I would do something like that where I went to move as fast as possible with no load, and then I would add like a 40 or 50 pound weighted vest so that I was constantly like kind of changing like some weight in the front, weight in the back, and I would try to move, you know, set the time, say hey, here's three miles. I'm going to move it this fast without a pack. I'm going to wear a 50-pound weighted vest. I'm going to see how fast I can move it with this. And then I'm going to load like maybe a 60 or 70-pound pack just on my back. And then I'm going to track those times. And then what I would do is I would periodize through those three different loading processes for that distance and then see how far I can continue to close the gap to be able to to shrink and increase the time. So I think the problem is for a lot of times – People don't periodize the weight. They don't periodize yeah, the trails. Yeah, there's no progression. Yeah, there's no progression. Like, hey, man, I fast rucked this three miles in like, you know, uh, 30 minutes. I put on a, a weighted pack or a, a weighted vest where the weight was in the front and the back for 50 pounds, and it took me 36 minutes. I put on a 70-pound pack, and it took me 40 minutes. And now, all of a sudden, three months later, I've been able to check that, like, hey, I've been doing this basic barbell stuff. I've been hitting some uh, intervals within, like, maybe the assault bike or some other things within the training. And now I'm going to go back and test and retest. So now that no pack, you know, fast ruck, nothing, now I'm doing it in 28 minutes. And and that's how we can chart progress. I didn't feel as beat up. I didn't feel this. So I think a lot of times is people don't build anything into their training that looks like a test and retest within their SPP. So what I'm a big fan of is, okay, here's our general specific training. And we can test that in a lot of ways. We can do rep maxes. We can do a lot of different things. But is the training that I'm doing outside of my specific is it driving adaptation? If it's not, I got to make a change. And if it is, I'm going to continue to fucking hammer down and go in that way. But I can't just always use the same test. Like, hey, man, my wife drops me at the bottom of this hill with a 70 pound pack, and this is the same route that I go every time. We got to change the loading. We got to change the speed. Sometimes you got to go faster. Sometimes you got to go slower. And you got to find different ways to attack this thing. And, and I definitely do everything you just described just because it made sense to me. Because you're not always going to have the same terrain. You're not always going to have the same speed when you're hunting. There's going to be other times you have to hurry, you have to haul ass. There's other times it's that long grind of 10 miles in. And so I do everything from basically just a, a, a water bladder in my pack, which, you know, whatever, five pounds in my wallet and haul ass. I'll do <laughs> a weighted vest of anywhere between 35 to 55 pounds, uh, mostly because it also compresses my chest and it's just a little more of a suck yep. fest. Um, then I'll do anywhere from 35 to 60, 65. I don't ever go above 65 pounds uh, in my pack because I haven't. I just haven't found that there is enough benefit to it to the toll it could be taking on my knees, for example. Dude, of going so smart, man. That is heavy. so smart because what we see is that people end up more trying is to, more. yeah, like more is more. And next thing you know, they're out there and then they end up beating themselves up like you don't need to go out and like we, we saw this all the time. I mean, um, I. I don't know if I buy it into it. Um, I used to train with this guy who was a, a long distance runner, like uh, ran ultra marathons. And he was convinced that um, you really only within your training, like the longest you needed to run was a 5k, but you need to be able to run a series of 5ks. So he would run like maybe three 5ks back to back, take five, five minutes, but it would run at this big pace and then could go out and effectively, uh, you know, go out and compete and use kind of like training runs and kind of some competitions for training. And felt that the problem that a lot of endurance guys get into is that they go long so uh, they go long so many times that it feels like it ends up draining them. And what they needed to do is focus more on the strength and the speed and moving that. Um, I think that you need a mix. I think if you're going to run fucking 50 or 100 miles, you better at least have run 50 or 100 miles. I don't know if I would be comfortable running 50 miles or running nothing but 5Ks. 
but I kind of understand that as you move up the, you know, the mountain in terms of like how experienced you are, yeah. do you need to continue to draw from yeah, that well? The law of diminishing returns yeah. becomes a real thing. And I think you've just kind of, uh, instinctively landed on that. And, um, there's, there's literature and studies about, for example, Aaron shot putters with relation to the bench press as they try to, you know, approach a 500 pound bench press, all of a sudden they can't throw the shot far enough. But if they stay in that sweet spot closer to that, like 400 pounds, that's where they could really, really improve their throw. And it's not more weight. It's moving that weight faster. That allows them. Not to interrupt you, but I, I want to make sure and hit on this because I have so many fucking chuckleheads messaging me and arguing with me about this. They're like, hey, I live in Iowa. I live in Nebraska. There's no hills. So uh, I don't think that you're correct. I'm going to ruck with 100 pounds on. And I'm like, Oops. well, uh, how about you do lunges in the middle of your four-mile no, ruck you, march? Get them, they, so you, they'd have their pack, and you start to drag something. So you can, you can replicate that incline with a sled drag or you know, get a, yeah. get a yes. spare tire, put a shoulder harness on for yeah, one, or like you put it around their waist sled. for two. Or you a harrow. Do, they probably got a harrow. Yeah, or reverse sled drags. Like there's, there's ways to replicate that. Now, it's not going to be exactly perfect, but it's better than just putting 100 pounds in the pack. Well, and, and there's really no way to replicate. So when uh, we were, like I said, we were in Colorado, we were in Telluride and uh, we get out and we, you know, driven and we were like, fuck, let's get out and go do something. So we, uh, we took the gondola up um, in Telluride and then we hiked down and hiked all around. And uh, it was, it was actually really nice until my four year old who weighs about 50 pounds decided that uh, he didn't want to walk anymore. <laughs> and so I was fucking hiking with this um, basically a 50 pound a pack, 50 pound pack giving me a death choke grip on my back as mm. I'm hiking through these fucking mountains. All of a sudden, my nice, fun, kind of low-energy uh, fucking hike turned into a heavyweight fistfight of having to drag this mm -hmm. little bastard through the, um, <laughs> through the fucking mountains in Colorado. Oh, dude, that kid. And I'm like, dude, could you get, like, he's got a death grip around my neck, and I'm like, this is what everybody should do. Like, I'll be like, hey, you know what? If you're in Iowa and uh, you don't feel like you have uh, mountains to hike through, what you need to do is strap a 50-pound kid on your neck and let him get you in a chokehold mm -hmm. and see how far you can go. Well, and I mean, truly, like those are the some of the times for me, those are the eye openers. I mean, you'll laugh at this, but the things you don't think about the other the other day, I had a bunch of 3D targets and, you know, I haven't done, um, you know, we, we talk about Vision Quest, the log carry. You know, I'm throwing these 3D Shoot. targets. Ah, a kindred Shoot. spirit. Shoot. Yeah. These guys. <laughs> Do I know uh, you? So, dude, hilarious. So we're, we're going to discuss Vision Quest on a podcast. And uh, these two jackasses had never seen Vision Quest and didn't even know the story of Loudon Swain. Uh, but now bleeder. you. You're a bleeder. <laughs> <laughs> dude, you... Uh, dude, so these guys yesterday are like watching it. And, they're, and I'm like, dude, like growing up, that was one of our favorite movies. Uh -huh. I love it. That's funny. Well. I, I wasn't trying to be um, shoot, but I was packing these 3D targets around. Uh, it's getting me in the right spots. You know, somewhat aggressive terrain, grabbing the uh, sledgehammer, which I realize I've become a bitch because I haven't done manual labor in a while. I got a blister swinging the sledgehammer, putting the rebar in the mm -hmm. ground. Um, and then uh, I go grab the garbage and I walk. I try to walk backwards as much as I can, as goofy as that is, whether it's with a ruck on or I'll drag this. I'll, I'll, I, I have a... I have, you know, those big, the big uh, workout ropes for doing rope drills. I turned yeah. one into a sled drag just because uh, well, my there's, forearms. Uh, there's pretty extensive research that talks about, um, especially in ACL reconstruction, when people come back, they have a slight limp. And the way that they fix the limp is walking backwards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a neurological we, response. Yeah, 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 like a neurological response for people that get stuck in like a, 
um, compensation patterns, especially with ACL, that actually walking backwards fixes the limp. And I did that for my patellar tendon. Well, I just did it because it's a, a different ass whooping motion, right? It's like, <laughs> oh, my fucking hamstrings are fucked up. Now my quads are or vice versa. So I'm, I'm doing all of this and uh, my wife's laughing because I'm very competitive with myself and I, I get done, I get all the 3D targets up and she's like, what? And I'm like, look, I need to reassess my fucking fitness situation. And she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I just got my fucking ass handed to me putting up 3D targets. My forearm, I'm not going to be able to jerk off for a week from swinging that fucking <laughs> hammer. I got blisters and my hamstrings and quads are fucking smoked. And, uh, I, you know, it's, it's little, I'm like, okay. And that, that's how my brain works. I'm like, okay, I, I need to, I, I need to evolve. I, I, I need to be, become more well-rounded. And that was just from putting up 3d targets. Cause it's something I hadn't been doing, right. I'd been doing straight up the hill, different speeds, things like that, different weights, but I wasn't throwing 3D targets on my back, which, you know, total body, because, you know, Packer, a 180-pound 3D elk target, I, I literally look like a monkey fucking a football. But I've got it farmer carried, trying to pack it around through the trees up these hills. And I'm like, okay, Christ, if I had to pack my buddy, I'd be fucked. Because um, I just haven't done it enough. Or I, I haven't yeah. been doing that. I think you're on, I mean, yeah, Aaron, no, a I'm lot of the stuff that you're coming to just kind very of instinctual. intuitively, yeah, is is where we would we would put you but it i think what where you could benefit from us specifically maybe a little we got some some training we could push your way but mostly let's check like if we could check out how you move well um that could help you i'm more amazed at the people that are hitting you up and dming you to, to argue with you um i you know like ask ask holes is what we yeah the, the fucking running one man is like it's that seems like when we were talking to some fighters and you know the, the efficacy of road work uh, like physiologically, I, I don't know that there's a ton. There could be. I mean, it could be. But it, uh, like the road work for fighting, it's it's part of the old school. Yeah, it's like, mental. Yeah, it's, like their yeah. dads, their uncles, their trainers. Yeah, Everybody did road work, so they got to do road work. Can't, and, can't argue with that. And there's an idea of getting up at 3 in the morning and working while your, your opponent's sleeping is mm -hmm. Tyson. But, I mean, that's part of it. But I think, uh, like, I'm... Man, and, and we, we found this on the internet. Like, I, I think this comes with age, and we talked about it earlier, man. People are more looking for validation that they're right, then they're looking to learn. So the people reaching out to you have this idea and what they're searching for is you as the expert validating what yeah. they're saying. And instead of being like, hey man, my cup is empty. You're, you know, you're an expert. I'm reaching out to you. Help me be a better version of you. And that takes a certain level of um, just fucking being uh, somewhat humble, having been knocked down, not realizing you're the smartest person. Maturity. Maturity. And the problem is there's people in their 60s and 70s that don't fucking figure it out. And there's people that in their 20s figure this shit out that uh, that it's more important to be successful than it is right. What being like the desire to be right feeds that fucking inner child. I want to be successful and I want to win and I want to be the best version of myself. That's how you feed the the external or more importantly, like that's how you become a better version is by humbling yourself. And a lot of people reaching out to you, they just want to fucking be right, man. And they... um. You know, and like they want you to fucking co-sign. I mean, we said people all the time come to our seminars, pay 800 bucks to show up at the seminar and argue with us because what we were saying wasn't exactly what they wanted to hear or what they thought was true. And then they would argue. And I'd be like, dude, you paid money to come to this. Fucking empty your cup, humble yourself and fucking learn. My, my thing is like uh, I'm pretty open about when guys ask like, hey, guys, I, I'm not uh – you know, a qualified expert in all of these things. I'm going to tell you what works for me. I'm going to tell you what I don't know. And I'm going to, you know, and for my body type with what I do, I have found 
that I am at a my 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 best I can perform in the mountains is what I'm doing is this is what I'm doing this is what I found to be the best for me and they'll be like well you know the, the weight thing uh you definitely you're, you're not correct you have got to carry 100 pounds to get your body used to that and I'm like how used to is your I, I'm not saying don't go heavy occasionally I'm just telling you every day with 100 pounds on your back if you weigh 160 pounds is going yeah. to take a toll on your knees as a guess. I'm not a fucking doctor, but I would think it would. And so you might want to just test your body out every now and then and say, oh, yeah, that's what 100 feels like. I recovered pretty well and focus on lighter weight. These are the things that guys argue with me about, or uh, you would be way better in the mountains if you ran, you know, 10 miles a day. And I'm like, eh, I don't know, because I've, I've hiked with a lot of guys that run like that, and you get 50 pounds on their back, and they, and they suck. That's one of the reasons I like you guys on here is they can bug you, they can pay you, and you can make them better, <laughs> yeah. and I can answer less questions because um, you guys are we're the your professionals. Guys. Take them over. We'll take them. Yeah, we're your guys. I, I, you you yeah. know what? Uh, um, during during COVID, I uh, was looking for like you know like uh, I was we we were working on um, some programs and we were doing some things uh, with this program that we had called Third Monkey, which was this austere program we developed for the military that was equipment agnostic, and when. Um, COVID hit and the lockdown hit. We ended up just launching it for free. So I got on some like on some forums, and I uh, like I'm always interested in like long range shooting. So um, mainly not to just go out and shoot targets, good, but you know we have some long range shots, and I just appreciate the hunting aspect. So I jumped on Sniper's Hide, and uh, they have a fitness section, and I just started kind of going through and like the the misconceptions of fitness and training and how people were attacking this stuff. Man, like gave me this glimpse back into like what like the the average person is doing and how they're going and some guys were real switched on with like home gyms but how they were kind of hacking their training and i was like man as i just tried to go on there and just anonymously just try to offer some people some advice in this and it was pretty funny to like hear how prickly and people were set in their ways and i'm like well if you're not looking for feedback or you're looking not looking for constructive criticism why are you coming on asking these questions like where's the like, uh, you know, and once again, they're just looking for validation that they're right or, you know, hey, who knows, I'm going to go on some, you know, obscure website and fucking offer terrible fitness advice. So it's just it's pretty interesting, man. The funny thing is, is you could be at the level you're at. And if you're not known on that forum, you can have some dude that's been on that forum 12 years, 70 pounds out of weight, doesn't know shit and win the argument in the people's eyes because you have four posts and he has four thousand. <laughs> And oh no, that, dude! And I, but I tear those dudes up. And the problem was, is because like not only have we done the practical training, uh, I, but I don't ever tell anybody who I am. But like, uh, know the science behind it, and this is what we do. And like, I was like, hey man, I know you got more posts, but that's just because you've been sitting in your mom's basement longer. I'm actually out there doing stuff. So, <laughs> oh, but yeah, no, I, I, I get into it all the time, and it, it, it's hilarious because then people are like, oh, you know, if you drop a little bit of knowledge, I'm like, oh, you guys kind of know this stuff. I'm like, dude, this has been my entire life. Uh, I'm just not saying that because I'm on the internet, but like, if you do a fairly easy, easy Google search up on my name and the and the uh, the icons I'm using, you'll find exactly who I am. It's not hard. Well, it's, uh, I've been on, and I don't get on them anymore, but I've been on a few where there's threads, and somebody like you hopped on, and I'll put the finger going upwards, saying, "Don't argue with this guy," because his <laughs> first statement, I was like, "Oh." That guy's on a different level. He knows what the fuck he's talking about. So just to warn people, I'll be like, hey, don't argue with that dude and point up. And inevitably, someone will argue. And it's like, look, this dude could be a doctor, right? This guy could be at the level where you guys are at. And it 
just because he's not on here all the time doesn't mean he doesn't have valid info. It just means he doesn't get on forums. And I, the same things with social media in general, with Instagram sure. or, or whatever. And the the one thing that, you, in, in a, you know, just because you're successful at hunting doesn't mean you, you know how to take a fucking picture or how to tune a bow. You're a good killer. It also doesn't mean you know shit about dieting and exercise. I know just enough to get by, and then I usually get people like you guys on the podcast because I'm a recovering fat kid. I've found ways around diet to that works for me, and I can give other fat kids advice, but I'm not a nutritionist. And so half the say, shit I say might be okay. The other half might be wrong, and that's why I always tell people like, hey, don't take my advice. I'll get you going. Go seek a professional. That's why they're a professional. When I need my car fixed, I don't go to a fucking computer expert. They don't know how to fix a car. And so just because I'm a good hunter, I might be able to help you out a little bit, but go to people like you because that's where they're going to get the best advice. And and I I try to stress that to people because it is just because you're good at one thing or known in the public side doesn't mean you know what the fuck you're talking about. And that including myself. Well, the, uh, I I think the, the thing which is interesting for you is dude, you're like harder than coffin nails. So I guarantee if, uh, you know, you send you a diet or a training, whatever, you're going to fucking follow it until somebody tells you to not follow it. The problem is, is that not a lot of people have the, uh, mental fortitude or just the fucked upness to be like, I'm going to fucking dig myself into a hole. I'm going to do exactly what they say. And I'm going to fucking follow it to the letter of the law. Um, and it's just, you know, and like most people, um, so years ago, and these guys have heard me say this, uh, I found that the greatest predictor of success, whether it was an athleticism, family, whatever it is, is consistency. The things that you can consistently do and the person that's able to train the most. I mean, um, years ago, there was a, a, a Dr. Nicholas Romanoff, who's the guy that invented the pose, told me a great story. He, um, he said in uh, all like the, the Russian Politburo, they wanted to, you know, like sports was important and they wanted to figure out like what was the perfect periodization, the perfect program so they could use it on all their athletes. So anybody that had won a world championship, a gold medal in Russia, they asked their coaches to submit their programs and look at the training. And what they were trying to do is get all these you know, geniuses together who had won all these top medals and, and had all this success. And they were trying to find similar veins. So they worked on this. They had hundreds of people working on this for like five years. Finally, they said, hey, we're going to have a conference and they're going to get up and present. And so the guy, the doctor gets up who's in charge of it and stands up there and presents. And he's like, after five years of research and tens of thousands of programs with thousands of athletes over, you know, this, he goes through it. We came up to two conclusions. The strongest people in the world lifted the heaviest weights in training and the fastest people in the world ran the fastest in training. (laughs) And that was it. And he like walked off and like everybody was nervous that they were going to get taken off and sent to Siberia in fucking uh, train cars. But, um... Dr. Romanoff like looked at me and like, I was like, Oh yeah, it makes sense. And then as I was driving home that night, I had this, like I had to pull over cause I felt like I had a fucking, like my brain got cracked. Like, man, there was nothing in there with sets or reps. There was nothing more. It was the consistency. The people that were the strongest were the ones that lifted the heaviest weights in training the most often. The people that ran the fastest were the people that ran the fastest in training the most often. And that piece really just altered the trajectory where it was like the consistency factor. If I can get you to train and be consistent within, you know, not only the training, your diet, all the other little things, your ability to move yourself farther along where you want to go happens. The problem is people do this start and stop like, oh, I'm going to be really good for a week and then I'm going to take two weeks off and then I'm going to start again and I'm going to do this. And then they wonder why they get to the end and they're like, well, you know, this didn't work. And I was like, did you really give it a chance? Were you as consistent as you could? Did you do all the right things that you meant to do honestly? Of course I did. 
No, they didn't because they can't fucking look themselves in the mirror and be like, you know what? I fucking bullshitted it. I wasn't consistent. I didn't do what I said I was going to do. And unfortunately, that's hard for the ego to fucking take. It, it is. And I, I talk about it, it's like uh, if you get target panic with archery, admitting it is the, the first that that's your that's the first step. Admitting you you have an issue and dieting and, and, and fitness is the same thing. It's you know, I see the diets these guys tell me they're on and I'm like, dude, you're taking in, according to you, less carbs than a bodybuilder does on his last month before his competition. There's no fucking way that that's the diet you're on. That may be the diet you want to be on, but that is, that is not the diet you're on or the the guys that give me their workout program. And I'm like, man, that's, that's some upper level shit. I know they're not doing it, so I'm trying to get them to fess up. But I think, like you said, they want, um, like they want validation. They, they want me to be like, man, that's badass. You're doing great. But they want to do great. They're just not. And, and if they could stick to that program like you're talking about. And that's one reason with me that I'm able to keep my weight down being a, what, an endomorph body type or whatever. Um, I just pay attention to what I eat and I work out and I don't get too wrapped up in it. Um, that's probably bad advice. But, I mean, if I go eat two peanut butter bars on the way home, well, when I get home, I lift and I go do cardio and I'm not stressing over it because I'm very consistent with working out. I don't, uh, I don't go too crazy in any direction, meaning I don't, um, you know, if I eat a bunch for dinner, I don't stress out over it. I'll just work out more the next day. I, I just try to stay as consistent as I can be where you get the Oprah Winfrey diet. A guy goes total primal br- blueprint or, or uh, carnivore diet. He does it for six months and then he slips and the next four months he's eating carbs and all of a sudden he's gained back everything he has plus another 30% because he's not consistent with anything he's doing, um, which I'm sure you guys run into that shit constantly. Uh, the carb thing, man, like there's no such thing as an evil my, uh, evil food. There's no such thing as an evil micro or macronutrient. Um, there's pretty extensive research that goes to show that uh, you know the macronutrients aren't necessarily as important for weight loss as people think they are as much as the total caloric load. Mm-hmm. So like it, you know, let's say you eat a balanced 30, 30, 30, in caloric deficit with carbs, uh, proteins, and fats being equal. Um, that uh, is about the same in terms of weight loss as somebody who eats a low-carb diet. So the really what we found is that you have to find the diet that allows you to be the most consistent you could stick to. Um, you in know, terms of eating. Yeah, in terms of eating. That like, also, though, complements your activity level. Yes. Because the, the food in and energy out, like that part of the equation, the training is, is an important component. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And especially if you're going to lift weights. So um, one thing which I've found to be universally true, except in one case, uh, is if you eat a high protein diet and caloric restriction and continue to lift weights, you will not lose any muscle. So uh, people haven't figured this thing out that a high protein diet in caloric restriction that looks like doing some form of weightlifting and lifting. Uh, it's how every bodybuilder's ever got in shape. I mean, if you think they eat in caloric restriction and they eat a high protein diet, how they kind of uh, fix their carbs and fats is really based upon taste and if they can stay in caloric deficit. The problem is most people don't know what it is to be in a caloric deficit because they've never actually put themselves into caloric deficit and then monitored it on a scale. Like if um, if your basal metabolic rate says you got to eat 2,000 calories a day and I eat 2,000, I don't lose a pound, and I've trained uh, and burned 1,000 calories, then obviously um, your basal metabolic rate isn't 2,000. And the only way you would know is that you know at the end of a week after I've been, uh, been in a 3,500-calorie deficit, have I lost a pound? And the problem is, is that people don't look at it. And that's the comment I made earlier in the podcast. If you can manage a spreadsheet, you can get in shape. Um, The problem is you have to know what a caloric deficit and you have to be okay to be hungry. 
a lot of people have this primal issue where like like the thought of being hungry is a bad thing. I think everybody should be hungry. And I've never gotten in shape, but I've never lost weight where I wasn't hungry at some point where I've been like, fuck, I want to eat. You know, I'm just going to go to bed or I'm <laughs> going to drink a bunch of water with a bunch of salt in it. Or I'm going to go get on the exercise bike because it's easier if I ride uh, for, you know, 20 minutes instead of thinking I'm eating. Uh, you know, I purposely don't buy almond butter. You know, like there's like things mm-hmm. that I've, I've built in. But the problem is, man, people are really nervous. They have this idea that I can stay completely satiated or satiated and feel full, but I can lose weight. No, you got to be hungry. Yeah. You got to be okay with being hungry. And until you are, you'll, you're never going to get in the shape you want. And I, I think one, I, out of everything you just said, one of the, the biggest things that um, kind of shined on me like five or six years ago was the, the, the workout program you're on and the diet that is going to give you the best uh, chance of success. Meaning for, for me, I've got to eat, right? I mean, I, I can't do a primal, whatever, whatever, a carnivore diet. Like I like carbs. But if you can find the specific carbs that, that, that you can take in throughout the day to put you, maybe not necessarily, I'm not worried about needing a caloric deficit, right? I just want to be happy medium so I don't gain any weight. And, and, and not overeat, like I tried the, um, the fasting thing. Um, dude, I, I, I don't eat for 16 fucking hours. I am going to binge eat. Like I do dude. not have the mental... Capacity. Same thing, man. It, uh, it, it's the same exact thing as all the other things. Like, like they've done research that there's no magic in fasting. It's just a fancy way well, to intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting. Yeah. Yeah. Like occasional occasional fasts. Yes. There are there is some could some, be some benefits yeah, like for some four, people. Like 48 to 48 or 20. I, I think Dom Diagostino said like a 72 hour fast, maybe two or three times a year, was great for cleaning out metabolic garbage. People talk a lot about autophagy for fasting, but I'll tell you. Uh, the autophagy from lifting weights right. and training with exercise, hard exercise where you're breathing heavy, is exponentially greater than any autophagy you would get from fucking starving yourself like a supermodel. So, and I was not doing well with the, uh, and I agree, like, I don't do it three times a year. A couple times a year I'll do, uh, you know, basically a fast of, I don't go quite full to 72 hours, but clean up my system. But I was trying to go 16 to 20 hours a day. Oh yeah, it was great. Oh, God, I would eat six thousand fucking calories on my way home, so it made no sense because it's like, okay, I don't have the mental discipline. I got to face the fact I do not have that <laughs> to not stop. So for me, twelve, fourteen hours, I'm good. I eat, I don't overeat, and then I go home. I work out. I'm not lagging. Still got plenty of energy to do cardio. Where I was such a fucking dickhead by sixteen to eighteen hours, I wanted to kill like three small women and a baby. Cause I was, I just couldn't do it. And then I would binge eat. And so I'm like, okay, this is not the fucking diet plan for me. Like this is a recipe for, for failure. And so I just worked around finding the diet that worked. And, and then I might, like you talked about the basal metabolic rate. Mine's, they actually tested it twice cause they thought it was wrong. Cause mine's pretty high. And then I like found the exact amount of time that was like, I don't believe breakfast is the most important meal of the day. I just believe that whatever meals that keep you at the top level you're at are the most important meals of the day. That may be bad advice, but I don't worry about eating breakfast. It's usually the post-workout meal is the most yeah, it's important. What, yeah, I, it has to. Like, there's a, it, it there's a marriage, Aaron. There's a marriage between well, what, that what you're doing, yeah, what you're doing yeah. for activity and when you're eating. Like that, there's a marriage to that. Meaning, who did we have on the podcast that was jigging on that? Uh, Doctor Keith Barr. Keith oh, Barr. Yeah, that's right. Right. So this like. You can't talk about nutrition without talking about training. If you're in this, like, fuck, I'll even say for general pop, you can't talk about what you're eating 
uh, specifically in the nuts and bolts of it, right? Let, let, let's say like the carbohydrate and whether your goal is weight loss or weight gain without the activity that it's supporting. One thing you could probably broad brush for everybody, Aaron, is um, uh, we, we talk about it within Power Athlete is the concept of Roy G. Bib, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. And that what the philosophy there is having a variety of food in your diet to support uh, and uh, provide all the micronutrients and keep a high level of micronutrient balance so that all of the mechanisms in your body that allow you to lose weight, that allow um, you know, your horm- hormones to function, that allow you to, to, to be active, to sleep, to recover, you need a high level of micronutrient mineral balance and you're going to get that through a variety of foods. That, now there's some research like with certain dudes on the carnivore, like some people can do that, but it's not I don't think it's a broad swath of people who are doing no. the carnivore. It's, no, it's not, uh, there are some it's outliers. It's not Snyder, I can tell you that, because that, 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 that diet's <laughs> well, fucking horrible. Well, the, um, <laughs> the thing which is really fascinating on the carnivore diet, it's an elimination diet. And what we found is that certain people have such gut distress, uh, yeah. leaky gut, and so many issues that just the removing of all of those gut irritants and just eating something that looks like um, you know, animal-based proteins, like red meat, is the only thing that they can efficiently digest. Mm-hmm. So what happens is, is when you have massive gut inflammation, that inflammation binds receptor sites within the small intestine, and then your body can't absorb micronutrients. Um, yeah, you your know, B vitamins, your yeah. C vitamins. So, so then if, if we were to get micronutrient testing done, we would see that even though you're eating these foods, you're extremely deficient in them. Why? It comes from this low-level gut inflammation. So what happens is, is that some people get so metabolically broken have so much inflammation that the only way and the only nutrient that they can digest is something like red meat, you're pretty far down the, uh, the path of, uh, of I'm fucked. So they have to do something extreme and go out to the fucking rails. Um, if that's the case and that's the only macronutrient you can digest, that's great. But what we found is that a more well-balanced diet, like something that focuses on food quality, that balances carbohydrates and protein, you're eating at least one gram of protein per pound of body weight, and then you're working back based on total caloric load, and you're eating a diet that's sustainable and Mm -hmm. uh, not extreme. Because, man, people want to go out to these fucking extreme deal, and they think that's where it's found. And the problem is, is that it's easier for them to wrap their head around going extreme than it is to be consistent. So um, normally what we do is when people come to us, we usually put them on a very uh, simple isocaloric approach. And then we start dialing in proteins, carbs, and fats based off of body composition goals, how they're looking to train, how they're performing, and other key factors. The problem is, is people just look at diet, I'm going to do this diet, and their only metric for success is either weight weight loss or weight gain. And not, what is my performance in the gym? Am I putting on muscle? What am I doing to check it? Am I getting stronger? Am I moving better? They, they just don't it, – it's too hard to turn those uh, – to look at those variables, analyze them because they don't have a framework in place to do right. this. And I think what we do really well with not only our training and our nutrition is we put that framework together. We test it. We, we retest. We see if what you're doing is moving you in the right direction. And if it is, we're going to go in that direction. If not, we can pivot. And we got a whole bunch of different levels uh, levers to pull. So one of the things we had mentioned there uh, real quickly, which was something that was really stressed on me when I was, when I was powerlifting, was – uh, you're, you're, you want to eat within 30 minutes after that's when your anabolic rate is the highest. If I remember correctly, you know, try and eat 30 minutes or less after a heavy workout. And I don't know if that's true or not, but one of the reasons, like when my wife drops me off at the bottom of the hill, I haul ass up, she's making dinner. I'll knock out 50 to a hundred pushups. I'll knock out a bunch of crunches, do some pull-ups. And then I go up and I eat. Um, 
for my body type, um, that is the best thing for me for not gaining weight. And I also have a high, you know, I don't, I'm not dragging the next day. My recovery time seems to be better. Now, whether or not all that shit's in my head, I have no idea. That uh, just seems uh, to be what's so working for me. You're partially correct. So what they did is when they analyzed anabolic window, all the people that they used for the study were older people, like in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. So as you age, the anabolic window starts to shrink, and that becomes very important for people as they get older. So like 40, 50, 60, all of a sudden that 30, 45 minutes to an hour yeah, it's, becomes, it's pretty real. Yeah, it becomes very real. Now for a 24-year-old kid or a 16-year-old kid, it could be 48 hours. So your anabolic window could be two days. <laughs> so what happens is, is that that uh, you know the the age old bodybuilder at the you know twenty thirty year old bodybuilder at the gym who is on a ton of gas, so he's got a ton of positive nitrogen um, balance. He's uh, you know got all this extremely uh, enhanced hormone. Um, you know, oh, I got to get this protein. No, dude, his his anabolic window extends for like two days. But as you age, when you get up to that 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, all of a sudden that window starts to shrink and it becomes very important. Now, the good rule of thumb, which I would say for everybody is within an hour, eat a high protein meal. Um, but uh, it's, it's not as important for younger individuals, but becomes dramatically more important as we age. Uh, when you look at sarcopenia and other key factors of why old people start losing muscle mass, it comes down from the fact that they're not eating a high protein diet. And they're not doing anything to load the tissues or load their body in such a way like look like strength training. I think the secret to longevity for uh, people as they age is high protein diet, adhering to the anabolic window, and doing some form of strength that involves compound movements and cervically loading the spine. And Aaron, we had a great guest, Dr. Keith Barr out of UC Davis on our, our Power Athlete Radio episode 352. That explained it, explained it to us, broke it down, and then connected it to performance and training. It was yeah, great. yeah, and in general, it is that chronological age. But there are like there's even exceptions to that. It mostly has to do with like I think he was calling it the metabolic age, right? Like in your ability yeah, to like, like ultimately uh, process glucose and, and yeah, yeah, glucose our, sensitivity. Yeah, and like then like uh, you know body fat plays into that. Yeah. Uh, aerobic base. Um, you know, fuck, I, I, I watched that damn Zach Efron show on Netflix. I bet you did. <laughs> and, he uh, is so hot. No, he, well, Zach Efron, he's so not good right looking now. in this show. He looks kind of fat and out of shape Ooh, and kind of like, like that strung too. out. High school musical. <laughs> but they were, uh, they were in there trying to vilify or vilify mTOR as a, a cancer associated with a high protein diet, which has been debunked. For like fucking sixty years, the and big these guys, guys are getting still, red. Oh, he's dude. hulking up. He's turning uh, green, dude. Uh, like uh, he, you know, the guy's like, well, you know, uh, protein signaling happens and mTOR increases, so we know protein. I'm like, you know what signals mTOR faster than protein? Lifting fucking weights. So you're telling me that lifting weights gives you cancer? They they did studies where they fucking uh, uh, blunted mTOR in cancer patients. Like it, it's, see, this is the problem. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, fucking, these guys hear me, is uh, Netflix puts a ton of money behind this and all these other things, and these guys come out, and Zac Efron and then this other guy who's a fucking vegan um, come out, and they spout nonsense, and then people believe this stuff, and then I'm like, how, like, like, yeah. Um, hey, I got, it's I got like to interrupt you because you're thing. talking about Netflix. Uh, they did this huge uh, thing on Netflix where there was several uh, NFL players that went totally vegan. And they game were changers. talking about yeah. game changers. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I watched that and I'm like, man, that totally contradicts anything I know and have learned from people that I firmly believe and know what the fuck they're doing. 
And, and anyone that I have ever talked to said the same thing that you guys just did. As you get older, a high protein diet is, is vital. Now, there's a lot, there's many things to that as far as making sure your system is not jacked up, like you talked about leaky gut and things like that. There's other problems that you have to look into. But as, as you get older, um, the high protein is important where I'm, I'm watching this and I'm like, all right, who fucking funded this? Cause this is like uh, totally. Yeah. It's, it's snake oil. And, and I'll tell you this, man, if I, if I had the opportunity to play against those vegans, I would have selected to play against them. Um, what, they, if you look at those individual players, yeah, they're all out of the in, NFL. injury as well. So they all suffered the season ending or career ending injuries injuries. Yeah. I, I would have gladly, I'd do anytime. Uh, if, if, if I would have known, Hey, this guy's a vegan, I'm going to go hard and heavy to the fucking head and hurt him. Well, you guys know Bill Walton, basketball player played for the yeah. trailblazers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yep. vegan, fucking serious problems, serious physical problems. Like his mm-hmm. his career was ended short. He was vegan. Um, yeah. and I, you know, I does that mean somebody listening in that's a vegan is well? There's probably nobody vegan listening to this podcast, but he's going <laughs> to dive in and say, "Oh no, I've got this one friend who would you know." There's always a unicorn in the group, but overall, I mean, well, there's I, I don't also know these bodybuilders like um like on in that game changers. They showed all these bodybuilders that are like, "Oh, I'm vegan." Well, dude, the guy's consuming 600 grams of fucking protein supplements from like protein based, like other type of things. And I'm like, yeah, but you're supplementing protein in a high protein diet. That's how those bodybuilders like, well, I'm a a, a vegan bodybuilder. I'm like, yeah, but look at what you're consuming. You're consuming a uh, like cooked down pea protein or hemp protein, all these different proteins. You're consuming it at at a uh, like almost double or triple four times the rate at which you would need if you were considering something that was more nutrient dense like red meat. So like, uh, I'm like, dude, you're eating a high protein diet. So you we're, you're just doing it with fucking 20 shakes a day. Uh, yeah, well, and that was one of the things I got a kick out of was like, well, you know what? I'm going to go down a fucking wormhole quick on this. So I'm just going to hop off, but go ahead. What were you saying? No, I know you got another, a long trip coming up. So a fun listen and you get to hear John go off more on game changers. We did it our own take on it, Power at the Radio 335. So that, that was a fun one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and like, uh, you know, my other favorite one is when the guy takes the blood and he's like, oh, this blood's clear, this blood's cloudy. And I'm like, well, why is that bad or is that good? Why was one clear and one cloudy? Like, it's just, there, there was so much bullshit in that movie. There are so many intelligent people from, you know, Rob Wolf and different guys that have uh, fucking dismantled that whole thing. Lane Norton's another one. Um, who's a super prickly dude, but did an amazing fucking job of just dismantling that whole thing. And, uh, you know, he's the guy that should have gone on Rogan that battled that other guy, that James dude. Um, uh, as Chris Kresser, uh, they just did a fucking ad hominem uh, attack on Chris Kresser. So, um, but no, that, that movie was extremely well funded. I mean, some major, major players from uh, James Cameron and all these other guys. Uh, Chris Paul, yeah, NBA player. Yeah, there was a lot of fucking money behind that thing. So, and I'll tell you this, uh, I don't think it worked how they thought it was. And then they came out with the Zac Efron show that's been in the same bullshit. I'm like, what, do you guys got to redirect and bring in, now you got to bring in a Hollywood celebrity who looks strung out? Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's funny um, when something like that, you know, the bro science type of a thing, something like that happens. There's a show that pops out and then, you know, four million people jump on the bandwagon and. Uh, when Game Changers came out, my inbox filled up with all of these questions, and and I'm like, okay, hypothetically, we could let we could take um, anyone that is extremely fit 
and and just lie your ass off and say that does that dude's uh, vegan and you know he does inverted push-ups and that's the only workout he does. And if we sell that hard enough, there's going to be people doing inverted fucking push-ups all day long and no other. You know what I mean? It's like the perception. If if you perceive it, it is it is so. And I'm like, guys, you know how much fucking money was put into this with not. It's not like there was um, like it wasn't vetted, right? It wasn't like they had uh you know, 45 seconds to a minute and a half of different places people could look to research it. They just had a bunch of, you know, professional athletes that they were kind of bouncing or, or hanging their hat on. Anyway, when I watched it, I was definitely blown out of the water. I, my, even my wife was like jaw down, like, what did we just watch? We just wasted an hour and a half of our lives. Cause <laughs> well, well, I'm sitting I, I here thinking is our, how could you be a vegan hunter? Can you imagine the abuse you would take if you're like, yeah, I just go ahead and kill these things, but I'm a vegan. I don't eat any of them. So we just leave them there for, for nature to consume. Like, well, yeah. like that's, that would be like one that would be fucking hilarious. He's like, well, do, I'm with mother nature. I'm a vegan. I'm just killing these things so that other animals can eat them, which, you know, just makes no fucking sense. But like, <laughs> like I, man, I'm, I'm, uh, We've been battling these vegans um, and like, you know, they bring up like the one fucking uh, fat strongman dude who is got I claiming to have all these world records that were obscure world records that he's never done anywhere other than his garage. Like it, and then when he he lost me when he was like, have you ever seen a bull eat meat? I'm like, yeah, it's because it's a fucking rudiment, you moron. It's got multiple yeah. stomachs. Like, <laughs> yeah, no it, like it, it's just it, like like I, I hear stuff like that and he thinks it's funny. All it did it is just discredits the whole thing yeah. and these people are morons. Well, one of the other things that gets brought up and we're working on over two hours here, so I won't talk too much longer. But uh, my my wife and I hope to God they well hope they do listen to this. So my wife's friends ha are are vegan and they obviously we've got you know, three deep freezers full of meat and I eat elk or moose or every day, right? That's all I eat. And sounds amazing. They came, can, can they come over to the house and, and, uh, the, the, the husband is just a world-class fucking pecker wood. If you're not talking about him, he's not happy. And he, oh, you know, he, if he, he, he will find something, um, to, to, uh, compete with you against until he, he finds something that he's better than you. Um, and, and, of course, that didn't Sounds work like very well with guy. me. Well, in the middle of this um, conversation and talking, he was like, well, do you know how much water a cat cattle consume? And I'm like, uh, oh, yeah, it's quite a bit, you know, to water them. And I was like, okay, to make f tofu, have you ever seen a fucking turn, like, you know, the big wheels with the water to make tofu? I'm like, how much do you think it makes to make, how much water it makes takes to make tofu? Like, there's... A, you are only selling the negative side of certain things and you're not really talking about like you were talking about tofu, no animals are hurt. That's a fucking lie because you can watch uh, fawns and all kinds of mice and shit getting eaten yeah. alive. And That's I'm right, like, yeah. man, I'm bringing this up to him. And so he would change the subject. And then obviously he was not ready for a guy to, to argue with. They actually knew what the fuck he was talking about. Then he would talk about something else. And I'm like, yeah, actually that's not true either. Um, Actually, I can pull that up online if you want to read about it. And I was like, half of the planet or more are these exact same people that only listen to what they want to and, and do not no science behind it. They don't do any research. And it's called confirmation um, bias. Oh yeah, and it's like I I, I literally I'm like, dude, you're talking to the. I mean, I I got to a point where I'm like, dude, you're talking to the wrong guy on this. You can't feed me with your bullshit. 
He's like, this isn't bullshit. And I'm like, dude, I just spent the last 30 minutes proving to you this is bullshit. Like, nothing you said has any validity in the last 30-minute conversation we've had. I've shot down and disproved everything you've said. And I have no doubt they walked out of the door after dinner and were like, that guy's so full of shit, what an asshole. And I'm like, fuck. I'm like, Amy, never invite these people over again. (laughs) That dude was such a fucking dickhead. I find it ironic that you actually had vegans over to your house because I imagine your house is adorned with like, bitching like skulls and like racks and like uh like you just like all these amazing trophies all over the house so they enter like the den of like death staring at them and then you go open a freezer that's just full of meat and you're like i'm gonna throw this on i might not even cook it i might just eat it raw and like, they're like well, do you, awkward do you, do you do you have any bean pie what do you have any leeks and shit like that like i i just be like no where uh, do you source your your bean sprouts well, Aaron, uh, where do you get these uh, beans from? Aaron, They're fantastic. The best argument is ask him how much water it takes to raise one almond. Okay. Oh. <laughs> dude, uh, do a little, dude, look that one up. And for those of you guys listening, look up how much it takes, how much water it takes to raise one almond. If you see that number, your head will fucking explode. And uh, I guess, just, go ahead, text. No, just comment. One of my favorite well-worn moments is a three-hour nutrition lecture that linked the Clintons to the, <laughs> the drought in California and how much water it took to grow almonds. And Area 51. And, yeah, and, um, there, and uh, uh, time, uh, uh, Space Travel to Mars right. was also in there, too. But, Aaron, shameless plug to our buddy's book who's kind of going into this space against this argument for agriculture is Rob Wolf, uh, co-authored a book called Sacred Cow. Yeah, with uh, Diane Rogers. Yeah, and uh, so I don't know if that's something that you or your listeners would be interested in, but, it, you know... Basically, it it peels back all the bullshit, like so it prepares you for that dinner time conversation, and like soup to nuts shows that the 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 way forward is for sustainable and a fruitful life is like is this regenerative agriculture yep. through bovine, you know, like through meat ultimately. Well, right? yeah, and, and the idea of like the symbiotic relationship between grazing animals and rudiments and uh, ground nesting birds, and how you can regenerate soil by bringing animals back to the land. And not just stripping out nutrients. I mean, it's uh, Rome Ranch. The guys from uh, Epic Bar have a bitchin' ranch where they're doing all this regenerative farming. And there's just like Joel Saladin, uh, Polyface Farms. I mean, just some amazing stuff of showing like how uh, – who, who do we have on? It was Bobby. Bo- Bobby Gill of the Savory Institute. Yeah, yeah the Savory Institute. Had, we had a podcast with him that was fucking amazing. Talking about like these regenerative farms where uh, bald eagles have returned. And they're losing like $200,000 a year because the bald eagles have set up nests and are killing all their chickens because there's so much livestock that the government is subsidizing them now because they can't get rid of or move the bald eagles. But the bald eagles are just like killing and decimating them because – but they haven't had bald eagles in this area in over 100 years. So it's pretty amazing to see like um, you know when you bring nature back and you bring animals back into the fold. I mean look what, look what happened to Yellowstone when all of a sudden they brought wolves back. I mean like just to see like the changes in not only like uh, Yellowstone – but now, like the returning of the buffalo, which is is um, Steve Brunella's book, American Buffalo, which is a fucking amazing read too, um, dude. There, there's some really interesting stuff, man. And I think the people like your, you know, your amigo that showed up there and wanted to argue are living in um, this like weird confirmation bias in this echo chamber that uh, doesn't make any sense in terms of living with nature. And more importantly, like they're arguing with a guy who's a woodsman. I mean, dude, you're in the mountains, honey. You're like, this is what I do. How often does this guy go outside? He's like, well, maybe when I walk to my Tesla, you know? Well, yeah, it's like some uh, somebody that, <laughs> well, my sister was great at this. <clears throat> she would argue with me about what was going on in Southeast Asia, and I was stationed there. And I'm like, so have you ever been? 
<laughs> no, and I'm like, oh, that's awkward. I spent, you know, better part of 14 months there. Um, and it's same thing, like wolves, right? I'm like, look, I've been all over the place where wolves are everywhere. Uh, have you ever seen a wolf in the zoo? And I'm like, so you're basing this off of no foot-based factual science. Like, you've never been around wolves ever, No, you know, never backpacked in, never seen what they do. But they have an opinion and they voice it and it sucks because it's it's a horrible opinion and it's not fact based or science based. And that is just the world we live in. And it and it and it's really irritating on the hunter's perspective because there's so much bullshit that's spread around. Well, the uh, the one I love is, is the story of the American buffalo and the fact that the buffalo herds became so genetically fucking just tough and, and endurance and just the, like the, the best of the best because the wolves basically paralleled like the buffalo herds. And they just kind of like fucking basically kept them in, in line and like any of the weak ones they would eat. And um, and then the buffalo, if somebody, if one gets injured or becomes lame, they go over and basically stomp it to death and they kill their own. Like such like uh, like an amazing kind of symbiotic relationship, but also like trimming the herd back. So, you know, like the, the strongest of, of their species survives and, you know, and that allows them to continue, which, you know, actually kind of would make kind of sense. For, for mankind. For mankind, too, if we just had a lot of wolves and buffaloes. Throw them off the mountain like the Spartans. Yeah, yeah, well, no, we, yeah no shit. Yeah. Well, that's what they're actually playing up COVID to be, except it doesn't seem to be doing it like they initially. You know how much I hate <laughs> wearing a fucking mask? Um, well, we call I, it the Thanos effect. Why don't we just let the Thanos effect go into effect? Yeah, exactly. It, I, it is amazing to me which is going to go down another whole wormhole. But uh, as far as the, I'm not saying COVID isn't real. I'm sure, you know, it's there or whatever. I, I probably already have had it, but um, I walk into a restaurant. I have to wear the mask to the chair. I get to take the mask off. I can eat. Um, and then I go pee. I have to put the mask back on. And I'm like, uh, is that 15 feet? I had the mask on really helping that, that much. And then, you know, I don't ever wear it. So I get yelled at infrequently and frequently depending where I'm at and this giant fat bitch with yellow hair that probably weighs three and a half bills tells me I'm endangering her life because I don't have a mask on in the parking lot and I'm like man there's diabetes endangering your life several other things me not wearing this mask is not a big deal but I tell you what she had no issue getting in my face and giving me shit for not wearing a mask well, the research just came out Scott Nick just forwarded me the research that uh, people that are obese have uh, 160 to a 300% greater chance of dying from COVID than people that aren't obese. So um, the greatest determining factor for you know survival and, and contraction is being in good shape. And the problem is, is like, man, like people aren't necessarily, you know, they're like, hey, okay, wear a mask, great. Um, I need you to get in shape. No, I can't do that. Like it, it's a really interesting thing, man. But yeah, we just, uh, Skutnik just forwarded me that research last night that talked about it was 160 to 310% greater chance of uh, dying from COVID or even being infected from it uh, as it relates to obesity. So, I mean, it's, you know, and then the sad part is, I don't know if you've seen the research that's talking about that the uh, vaccines don't work on obese people that like, uh, even if they develop uh, a COVID vaccine, it won't work for people that are obese. So like, it's a weird thing, man. Like, all these people want to wear masks and they want a vaccine, whatever, but they're not willing to do what it takes to get in shape. So it just, it feels ass backwards to me. We talked about it on the Rogan podcast where it would be really awesome for, uh, the United States to focus on fitness, health and nutrition and pump the amount of money that that deserves 
uh, like let's say a, a state funded um, a program where we hire people like yourselves to go around and have these free seminars where the state pays for it, talk about diet and nutrition, uh, but we'll never do it. But that would seem way better than, and probably healthcare costs would just plummet compared to where they are at now. Because you go to the doctor, you get 45 different pills when in actuality, you just need to eat healthier and exercise. Not for everything. They're, I'm not saying everything. But diet, nutrition, and, and working out would certainly fix it a lot of It fixes about 90%. Problems. Yeah, man. It, it like, fixes 90%, dude. If I ever feel like unhealthy a little bit, I just go to the theater to make myself feel better. Um, <laughs> if some dude comes in with a fucking butt crack hanging out of the front of his shirt and, uh, you know, double ice creams and a hot dog. And I'm like, oh, I, I had a cheat day. I brought a Quest bar with me in my pocket. Like, holy shit, this fucking guy is gone. Like, he, he's level nine, literally weighing 400 and some pounds. And I can hear him breathing in front of me while I'm trying to watch the movie. That's standard at any theater nowadays. I, it's scary. Always, it? And there's it probably 20 of them. Fatty McGee. Fatty McGee. Yeah, Fatty. Jeez, Fatty, don't take the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Well, fellas, I should probably hop off here and go do some real live, uh, real live work. But um, I, I appreciate everything um, you guys are doing for the community. But where can people uh, find you guys, social media, your website, things like that? I think if you head to powerathletehq.com, you'll find everything you need there. If you're looking for training programs or even we have some nutrition coaching and nutrition programs you can follow. And on social media is where you're going to hear most about most of our shit anyway. So powerathletehq on Instagram specifically. Perfect. And uh, for anybody listening in, um, I, I will say a huge plug for you guys out of all the people I've ever interviewed, talked to. You guys have your shit together in in every different way, and you have other people you work with. So definitely do not message me about diet advice, physical yeah. fitness, anything like that. Get a hold of these guys. They're professionals. Yeah. Um, um, contact for, like if you go to powerathlethq.com slash contact, that message goes into a shared inbox of the, the sharpest tools in our, our shed. So we'll get you squared away. That's probably the easiest way to get, in, get a hold of us. Cool. Well, Fellas, I appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. We're definitely going to have to get you uh, get you on here again, probably at the end of my season when I'm all fucked up and beat up. Uh, we can yeah. talk about that. <laughs> Sounds good, dude. Yeah, man. Thank, thanks for having us, and thanks for making some bitchin' packs, dude. I yes. really appreciate it. Thank you for your yeah. time, man. Yeah, you guys as well. Take it easy.